Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, you might be interested in this. Uh, they they turned Manos, the Hands of Fate, into a live puppet show. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's called like Manos, the Puppets of Fate, or something like that. And uh, it's the enti- it's the same storyline, but all puppets. Uh, and also out here in Orange County, uh, once every October at the Maverick Theater, they do a live a live stage adaptation of Night of the Living Dead, uh, which I have not seen. But uh, and they do it straight. It's you know it's not a yeah. comedy. Uh, it's a, I, I, I'm told it's quite terrifying. Um, uh, the Maverick Theater is uh, definitely a destination spot if you come to Southern California. They also do a stage adaptation of Plan 9 from Outer Space that's quite uh, incredible. Sounds like they got Broadway beat. And even the old Vic. <laughs> it sounds like the old Vic kind of productions they would do. You know, we are uh, we're, 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 we're off to a roll. So we're just, we're just starting the show. Already in progress. We've got a powerhouse tonight, guys. I don't know where this conversation is going to go. I, 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 I don't know if I agree with uh, Brett. Wait a minute. Who did you want to play Manos in the uh, remake? John Malkovich. Malkovich. John Malkovich. Oh, John Master. Malkovich. Okay, yeah, that, uh, that's good. If you can't dig up and resurrect Frank Zappa, then yeah. John Malkovich, certainly. Yeah. But, but I do think Brad Pitt resembles uh, actor for Torgo. And I I think that uh, Jimmy Kimmel, you know, you put him in the same sweater. I think he'd be a good pass for Warren. I think I, what was his name? Uh, Warren something. Harold Harold yeah. P. Warren. Yeah, Harold the, P. the Warren. fertilizer yeah. salesman. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I I, uh, I I was amazed to discover that, and I never would have known this. So I hadn't read about it. That Torgo is supposed to be a satyr, which is why he right. walks funny with the knob knobby knees. Right. And right. it's because right. he's he's supposed to be wearing pants that cover his satyr like lower half. Right. It, that never would have occurred to me, but uh it's really not very well conveyed. <laughs> That's why <laughs> <laughs> because it's not well executed. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Everything in that movie was crystal clear to me. <laughs> every every second advanced the plot, but in particularly the couple that were naked in the car. Because you I love, I love... the story about that. <laughs> I love that they're making out for like 48 hours. Right. Because it starts out, it's like daytime, and then nighttime, they're still there. Well, that's realistic because that's how long the opening <laughs> credits are. <laughs> yeah. Forget 
something I cannot do. For they, they I actually... know <laughs> it's forever true. I'm forgetting uh, you. Serfiel, have you, ever, have you they... ever seen Manos Hands of Fate, Serfiel? No. Okay, well, you need to go watch it. But I think we need to put yeah. a paywall in front of this just for uh, <laughs> Dr. Features singing alone. They they recently did a uh, a sequel, and, and Jackie Neiman Jones is in it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's quite, it's, uh, I actually saw the first episode of it because it was a series of episodes and it, the first episode ended with a great twist because they keep referring to the master, the master, this, the master, that, and you yeah. think they're talking about Manos. Then at the end, it turns out they're talking about Torgo. Torgo is the new master. Chased off. That was the sad thing. You know, we're really living in a golden age. Because not only, it's like the Renaissance. Not only do we have that, but we also have the sequel to uh, Attack of the Killer Shrews that was done a few years ago. Let me explain real quick, though, Serfiel. I thought we may have talked about this at one point, but I guess we did it. So Manos Hands of Fate is this awful, poorly executed movie from, I think, the mid-1960s. It was filmed on a bet with Sterling Silver, right. a famous screenplay writer. Right. This guy, there's a fertilizer salesman in El Paso. So he goes and he makes this movie to prove that hey, anybody can make a movie. And it, it's very poorly executed. And it was like forgotten, I think, for 25 years or something like that until Mystery Science Theater 3000 resurrected okay. it in an episode and it after that it became like this this cultural kind of cult phenomenon but nobody it had been completely forgotten about for like 25 years i mean like they redid it with riff tracks which both versions of that are pretty funny and i can i'll I'll tell you right now i've never watched it without any of the riffing in it i don't know if i could stand (laughs) really Hey, I have it on Blu-ray, Adam. If you want, to I know you do, Mark. I, I'm very well aware. The original. <laughs> yeah, I just looked it up. It is available at this uh, video archive place I go to, so I have to get um, that. Uh, also, uh, footnote: uh, Frank Connors and Trace Billyu, who played the original, you know, the the Mads on the Mystery Science Theater, they do a yeah. thing called uh, the Mads are back. Uh, and they recently rifted again, so you can see three different rift versions of of Manos. Wow. (laughs) Professor Guffey, did you know that I actually broke into the Satellite of Love when they were producing the show? I I had no idea. If if you see my icon somewhere lurking online, you'll see me with my arms around Tom Servo and Crow right there at the the front table, you know, where they did their little shtick there. And uh, I remember their name on the closing credit was Best Brains. You know, uh, this was before Internet just shortly before. So it took a little bit more skullduggery to look this up. And so I happened to be up in the Milwaukee area and I saw that they Minneapolis, were, Minneapolis, Minneapolis. That's right. Yeah. Somewhere around there. And so I went in the industrial park in the yellow pages back when they still had those and found best brains. And I found a door open and suddenly I was right there on the set. of said, I love. And the guy came producer came out like, what are you doing here? And so, you know, I'm, you know, I sort of winged it like normal. And he just took me on a tour, showed me all the props. One thing I was able to confirm on the wall in the back when they opened the vault is that they do have a board game glued up there of Hungry Hungry Hippos that was actually painted in gray. I don't know if many people know that. 
So this is when the the show was still in production in the yeah, 90s. The original, yeah. This this would have been in 95ish. Wow. Four or five, yeah, I got on like Prairie Home Companion. Dr. Future has had quite the life. He he really has. Oh yeah. But the best part he's, he's worked he's worked for a member of the aviary and he's stuck into yeah. the he's stuck into the oh, really? love. Oh, wait, wait, which member of the aviary? Um can, Hawk, we, can we say or Hawk. Uh, oh. Ernie Kellerstrass. Uh he got outed on Coast to Coast. And um I'd been trying to get him. <laughs> Who outed him? Old show future quick. I don't remember. It was somebody compatriots, but anyway, you know, he used to be like a colonel. And, and worked uh-huh. in the foreign technology directorate there, right, Pat, where I worked, and did the UFO stuff there. And But he was a contractor, um, just really helped in designing at the gun range where I blew up airplanes, and he was helped design test fixtures and stuff. And so, you know, the other guys there at SRL thought he was sort of nutty because he would talk about how they really track UFOs and they were real and stuff. And I would just listen to him. And, um, you know, he talked about it being a reality and, you know, was it Operation Blue Book and other stuff. And um, then it was later he finally got outed as one of the aviary. So I don't know if he's part of the Collins elite or not. I don't think he's that kind of person, but um, it was very interesting. So, so you were you also worked at Wright-Patterson? Yeah, yeah. I was uh, a scientist there that... Uh, designed sort of James Bond kind of fire and explosion protection systems for things that would work in milliseconds to, you know, using this weird, bizarre gadgets and stuff. And that became my career. And then I privatized and patented my own stuff and got it in NASCAR and police cars and military stuff, things I did. But yeah, I worked. Uh, <clears throat> Dr. Future ever- is a member of the, of the military industrial complex. Technically, yes. <laughs> Actually, one of the coolest things was there were all these army men and army bases all over the U.S. that had their official TDY travel orders to my address here, to my coffee table, where they uh-huh. actually, and I meant to make a copy of it. I wanted to keep it, but they actually had my address here. They were meeting, convening because we were designing like helicopter fire protection systems, but I thought that was sort of a unique thing. To, oh, I did get an award from Donald Rumsfeld. I think I've shown it to you, Adam, haven't I, for winning the Cold War? Yes, you should. You have it handy to, to put in front of the camera? It's, well, it may be in the hall here. Hang on. I'll see if I can find it. Doctor he, he didn't say I single-handedly War, right? solved it. I didn't yeah. single-handedly win the Cold War. I had a little bit of You should have asked him to add that into the plaque. Can you're, you too, add you're, you're too modest, Mike. Yeah, I, I guess I could pen and ink that in. Hang on, I'll be. Y'all you, you talk amongst yourselves, yeah, yeah, like yeah. coffee talk. I'm amazed because not only did he work for a member of the aviary, and he worked at Wright Patterson, but he also broke into the satellite of love. I'm not sure which. Ed won the Cold impressive. War. Don't don't forget that. <laughs> he was also a prolific uh, B movie creator as well. He has a few. Yes. Films. Yes. I was not aware of this. I have to. I, I need to track these down. Yeah, they're apparently cult classics. Are they as good as Manos? They they might be even better. <laughs> okay, so I always love the fact that Manos means hands, so it's like called hands, hands of fate. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Robert, when you were in Seattle, was there a a video archive place called Scarecrow that you remember? 
Yes, yes. I yeah. used to. Yeah, I used to go there. Mm-hmm. I, I I would rent uh, uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky films that weren't yet available. You know, like I'd never seen The Holy Mountain before, so I was able to find that. I remember renting The Atomic Brain uh, oh. from the 1950s. Um, s- several other um, uh, Mr. Arkadin, the Orson Welles film, which I had not seen yet, and which uh, mm-hmm. Criterion had mm-hmm. not yet um, restored. Uh, and so that was the first time I saw it. All, all these films I'd been wanting to see, I was able to track down through Scarecrow. There yeah. was a, a similar a store in Santa Monica called uh, Vidiots. That was kind of like the, the Southern California version of Scarecrow. Is Scarecrow still there? Yeah, it's a big part of my life. Like We, we love oh, it. Great. Me and my wife have uh, canceled a few subscription services. And, uh <laughs> Man, it's it's amazing, and it's just been growing. So it's like you know, two stories, all kinds of specialty stuff, and a giant um, uh, conspiracy and UFOs section of all you know those uh, documentaries from from the eighties uh, and nineties. It's it's amazing, man. I, I remember going up to the second floor, and they have a special section called the psychotronic section. Yeah, yeah. So I immediately was was drawn to that section. Hey, I heard psychotronics. Did you see the psychotronic man? The psychotronic man? No. The movie? No. It's, it's what they inter- that's what they uh, invented the term psychotronic from. Was from this movie. Did, did you watch that with me, Adam? Psychotronic man? I don't think we watched psychotronic. Made in Chicago. Put that on. Put that I, on your bucket list, Mister Guffey. I, I I'll, I'll have to see it. Yeah, that's where that's where they toy. I'll. I'll I think. Uh, my higher power, Mrs. Bennett, has put that away to put somewhere else or it's in my records here. Here's where I worked at. And you can see the big ballistic rounds on there. It's a 23 and 30 millimeter HEI cool. in the office. But I was the mad scientist of fire and explosion protection. Let's um let's not ruin this with the topic. Yeah, we're gonna ruin it with we're gonna ruin this topic. <laughs> we can go anywhere we want with this discussion because both of you guys have been on many many times before before we leave the tangent i just want to uh, i i need i'm going to need to know if the psychotronic man is in the psychotronic section at scarecrow it would be ironic yes. if that's not in the psychotronic section i will confirm that here uh, probably <laughs> yeah, okay. wednesday on uh, two for one day oh, it, yeah, is, it is how that term was invented was a description of that movie Interesting. I, I don't think I knew that, or if I knew it, I forgot it. Yeah, you, you know, you'd be shocked to find out it was a low-budget, um, independently regional produced film by the same like director, uh, producer, writer, which is the way every movie should be made. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> Real quick, they do have Psychotronic Man, so I look forward to running that on Wednesday. Oh, excellent! <laughs> I'm gonna bring down the mood here a little bit. So. We got Robert Guffey here, and as you guys have heard, we have Dr. Future here, and the reason why that uh, I have both of them here is because we want to talk a little bit about Robert's uh, latest article, which if on Evergreen Review called The Silent Civil War, The Radicalization of the Evangelical Right. And I want to start out by reading something that occurred this week, and actually, Robert, this news was breaking as I was reading your article and I just thought that this is an interesting, um, we're always asking lately on the show, where are we going? Like what is, what is going on with conspiracy culture and 
all this mess that we're seeing, especially in this election year. But uh, this story was one of the craziest stories. I don't know if you guys heard about this, but this is from this is actually from CNN says man arrested after video post showed severed head of his father police say amid political rant that stayed online for hours and it says i'm I'm gonna read just a little bit of that just this to just kind of get the basic facts and we can you know go from from there but a man accused of decapitating his father and showing the federal workers severed head during a politically charged tirade online is charged with murder after he was arrested with a gun at a National Guard base, according to officials and court documents. The gruesome video circulated for hours on YouTube, garnering more than 5,000 views before it was shut down. Justin Moan, 32, now is being held without bond, also charged abuse of a corpse and other crimes Pennsylvania court documents show. During the online diatribe, Moan railed against the Biden administration and the border crisis while declaring himself the new acting U.S. president under martial law and decrying his father as a traitor. The victim, Michael Moan, worked for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Philadelphia District, the agency told CNN. The video was removed after its graphic violence, YouTube said. The horrifying case comes a bit of ferrat national political environment and as social media executives who were grilled Wednesday by Congress have been under fire for allowing graphic and sometimes violent videos to be posted to remain on their sites. Uh, the bigger picture is extremely concerning, I think, as we go into what will be an incredibly heated political season. CNN law enforcement analyst and former FBI director Andrew McCabe said. All right, so the basic story is, I won't go, I won't read the rest of it, but the basic story is this guy killed his dad um, and uh, cut his head off if it was in that order, I guess might have killed him by cutting his head off, but I don't know. Adam, but, if that's true, he should be able to beat the rap on abuse of a corpse because if his dad was still alive as he was cutting it off. Right, right. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. So, and he apparently holds the severed head of his father on a YouTube video and this thing stayed up for a while and some people saw it, took screenshots of it, downloaded it, whatever. But uh, apparently this is yet again just another, it's just like a very mentally disturbed guy that thinks he's the president of the United States, and but he's using all these kind of like right-wing talking points. And like I said, that was breaking news as I was reading your article, Robert. Uh, it, interesting. that Did you mention that he works for the National Guard? Uh, Corps of Engineers, wasn't it? His, his father worked for the uh, Corps of Engineers. Ah, okay. So that's why he said he killed his father because he was a quote unquote federal employee. Was he building the dumps? He might have been because the I think the Corps of Engineers do that, right? Yeah, but you know they were downsizing. They said heads would roll in the federal workforce. I suppose, Mike. <laughs> but, but I think, but I think, but but, but I, my point is, is like you know, here's we're gonna talk about Robert's article and some of the crazy shit and people that he's that he's talked to or that he's been looking yeah. at and it's very much the same type of language that this guy was using and this guy was very clearly mentally disturbed like he he was trying to be like some kind of like singer and most of his videos were him singing and then of which he got like a hundred something views on each video but this view he got like a five thousand before you know of showing his father's severed head which you know says a lot about our society but 
anyway. Well, I think we know how to get more well, clicks on this paranormal. Right, right. So certainly, the the the, the violence is is uh, uh, quite unlike anything we've seen in the past. I mean, because that's not an isolated incident. We in Operation Mindfuck, I talk about um, the Christian uh, surf instructor who lived up in wow. Santa Barbara. Uh, and uh, took his two kids on a fishing trip to, I believe, Mexico, and uh, thought they had reptilian blood in them, and killed them both with spear guns. And his wife said she was completely, well, obviously she was shocked, but she had no, she she claimed, no inclination that uh, her husband was spiraling off into madness. So, I mean, I, I don't know, it's hard to imagine how that's possible, um, but you know, he, he had been consuming all this QAnon stuff. And, uh, so he yeah. had to save his, his kids from being, uh, reptoids. Yeah. And this um, guy, if it's, if he wasn't, if he wasn't actually QAnon, he was, he was at least QAnon adjacent because many of the things that he said, apparently were kind of out of the QAnon. Uh, sure. Sure. And, and, message. uh, the guy who attacked, uh, Nancy Pelosi's husband. Yeah. Uh, uh, which, which um, when that happened, immediately uh, uh, Newsmax and all these right wing QAnon adjacent uh, 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 quote news unquote channels uh, went on to say, "Oh, well, this guy's this guy's not a right winger. This guy's he's like some sort of hippie." Uh, when in fact, uh, if you look at all of his posts, he's clearly you know he was super into QAnon, and and immediately. Uh, they tried to right wing um, news outlets tried to spin it that uh, the guy who attacked Nancy Pelosi's husband was actually a male prostitute. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and all, and that and that story, like on um, Greg Kelly reports, which is the main news uh, quote news show on Newsmax. Uh, 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 Greg Kelly would would allude to these kinds of things. He would never say QAnon, never quote QAnon, but he would come out and allude. To well, there's something more here. We're not getting the whole story, yeah. and then he would kind of like you know subtly hint at the the story about him being a male prostitute, uh, and and but he would just, he just wouldn't come out and say it. I mean that's yeah. that's kind of like the the tactic they've used since like post yeah. uh, January six. Whenever someone asks them about QAnon, they will act like they've never heard of it before. <laughs> it's it's right. really strange. Uh, I noticed that when uh, Sound of Freedom came out, uh, on, on I mentioned this, I wrote an article for Salon uh, about the Sound of Freedom. Uh, it was called QAnon 2.0, uh, something like that. And uh, the, um, on Newsmax, the, the, on the Chris Plant show, uh, Chris Plant went in this whole tirade about uh, why is everybody connecting Sound of Freedom to uh, QAnon? What is nah. QAnon? I've never even heard of it. Like he, he literally claimed he'd never heard of QAnon until the July 4th weekend of 2023. And then this other woman was on, some conservative um, columnist, and she goes, she goes, QAnon? I don't know. What, what's QAnon? Like she went out of her way to mispronounce it as if this was the first time the word was coming out of her mouth. <laughs> uh, also, I saw on um, Vice did a two-season documentary about QAnon. Uh, and the, the first season is like three episodes, and the second season is like four episodes, I think. And the two, the, the two 
main journalists, documentarians who are doing the show, I can't remember their names, there's one point where they go to this MAGA rally, and uh, the main documentarian goes up to... Um, uh, the, 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 my pillow guy, uh, Mike, uh, what's his name? Mike Lindell. Lindell. Mike Lindell goes up to Mike Lindell, starts asking him about QAnon and Mike Lindell looks at him and is like, what are you talking about? What is that? And it's, it's almost as if it's like, they're all in some one giant room being indoctrinated, but of course they're not in the giant room. They're just on the internet. <laughs> you know, it's, and, it's because uh, you don't talk about fight club. Mm-hmm. It, it's the same. It's the same principle. They just sort of wink when they say that Trump plays along with it. Several other figures will say we don't know anything about it, and they somehow think they're really pulling one over on us. Like we don't really figure out that they really know what's going on when they use all this, and somehow they derive some entertainment out of thinking that they're getting by with something that we're not picking I, up on. There, there, there's a line in Finnegan's Wake. That goes, uh, secret societies and anonymous letters make the great unwatched as bad as their betters. Uh, it's almost like uh, they, use, they, they, they're in constant fear of secret societies and secrecy, and yet right. they use secrecy all the time. They yeah. use duplicity, secrecy. You know, it may, the, the fact that they're pretending like they don't know what QAnon is makes them look even more iniquitous. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they and, have and like a, a counter-initiation kind of thing. Yeah, it's their it's their counter secret society. It's like what Robert Anton Wilson always said. He goes, uh, "There are secret societies all over the place, except when we're in one, we don't think of it as a secret society. We think of it as like our friend group." Or, you know, or I think you know, a, a, uh, a good rule of thumb is somebody is probably in some secret society society if they say they don't know anything about it. That, well, you know, I mean that that's the that's the interesting thing. It's, it's like they form their own secret society. And it has its own weird rules and its own weird, like, OCD rituals. <laughs> it has its own code, like the where yeah. we go one, we go all. I mean, that's like, you know, anybody that's, that, that's not aware of what that is, you see it on a bumper sticker, you'd be like, what, what is that, you know? And, and it's not a very, uh, it has its own code, but they will abandon the code at, at, the, at the drop of a dime if it's convenient to them, like yeah, right. uh, in Operation Mindfuck. I talk about Rick Rene uh, on the Blessed to Teach show talking about where we go one, we go all. Then when um, uh, uh, who, who, what's the name of the woman who was, who was killed on January 6th? Ashley Babbitt. Right. Ashley Babbitt. When Ashley Babbitt dies, the, ne- the next day, Rick Rene is on the air saying, Either A, he didn't believe she was dead, or B, she was actually some sort of deep state operative, uh, or or the the death was faked. And I thought, okay, this woman probably like looked up to Rick Renee, probably listened to his show. Uh, and the the second you take one for the team, instead of like going off to Valhalla and, and being praised for uh, putting your life down on the line for the cause, instead all of your peers immediately go on their podcast and say oh she never existed (laughs) or she was a deep state operative well you know it's funny because i can remember being around this kind of like right-wing social media and podcast atmosphere around about 2015 right and Mm -hmm. this was on a network that that i was on that i was kind of contentiously a part of and i knew some of these people and i would listen to their shows and one of the things that they like to talk about was rules for radicals, the Saul Alinsky book. 
And they would talk about this obsessively. And they're like, well, you should read Rules for Radicals. Well, it sounds like they just picked up everything mm-hmm. that was in Rules for Radicals. Yeah, a lot of people have commented on that. You know, like, I mean, it just it just seems that way. And it seems just like, yeah, if you, of course, if you're reading this stuff and you're studying it excessively, excessively or obsessively, you're going to end up probably implementing some of it. Right. Well, I guess it's sort of the same principle of like the Discordian Operation Mindfuck strategy yeah. just being taken over and then flipped and then used uh, in, in, in a similar way, just from the opposite end of the political spectrum. I, it's, it's, it's interesting how, um, like I, on Salon last year, I also did a separate article, uh, about, um, uh, it was called QAnon's weirdest obsession. You know, why does, um, why does the right wing fear the Freemasons or something? They, they, they always change my titles. I'll give them beautiful titles and they'll change them. (laughs) My title was Masonic Panic, which is. (laughs) <laughs> a, a, a twist on satanic panic, you know, right. uh, and then the one, the article about, uh, sound of freedom, the title was, uh, uh, beware of death angels, which was a title from this crazed letter that this, this MAGA fanatic wrote to, uh, all these libraries in Southern California. And in there was a line, beware the death angels. And I go, what a great title. <laughs> you know, he'll always change it to something that's less interesting. Uh, uh, but uh, in, when, when I took all my original five-part salon series and, and then put it in um, Operation Mindfuck, I just, I just put the original titles back on. <laughs> anyway, the, uh, uh, the one I wrote about the Freemasons, um, it was, it was, and, and, and the whole article was about increasing incidents of violence against Freemasons around the world, not just in America, but outside incidents in Ireland, in Greece, um, G- Germany, all over the place. Uh, there was an incident that just happened in Texas where an old man got shot by this guy just outside the lodge, shot and killed, and the guy you know, posted it on social media. Uh, and this is something that really hasn't been talked about in mainstream media, is this increasing incident in the violence against Freemasons and, and you know, setting... Masonic lodges on fire, which happened in in Canada, and the guy who did it went online and said he he just burned down a satanic temple, you know. And uh, so I I wrote this article. It was published, uh, and then uh, uh, like maybe a day or two later, someone who had read Camellio sent me a link to this this uh, website called um, something like a World Crime Syndicate. Uh, dot com or something, and it's this guy, and he's got a series of um, uh, photos of all these people who he thinks are part of the the deep state conspiracy, and so there was one that was about like the Scottish Rite Freemasons, and I see these photos of people who uh, look like they're probably billionaires, and and he claims they're billionaires, and and they look like they could be, uh, and then right amongst them is my photo. Uh, uh, of, of me wearing a bright blue spy versus spy t-shirt, holding up a copy of Camellio, standing outside my apartment in Long Beach, and it says, underneath that, it says, the propagandist author Robert Guthrie is a Scottish Rite Freemason and agent of deception of these Scottish American billionaire clans. Robert Guthrie is a Scottish Rite Freemason from California who specializes in architecting gang stalking and selling books about him gang-stalking a guy who he claims is his friend in the book. 
Guffey also spreads military propaganda, and he is a brainwasher. <laughs> Sounds like someone owes and, you a check. <laughs> like this guy probably never heard of me. Two seconds before he saw this salon article, you know, he sees the salon article and immediately like pulls my photo, puts it in there amongst all these other people who actually look like they might be billionaires, and then puts me in there and says, "Yes, this guy," and he gets everything wrong. Like <laughs> he gets like what Camellio's about. He gets that wrong. And it's just off, like, I guess off the top of his head. Uh, and uh, well, Adam, you were in my apartment in Long Beach. Did yes, the, I was. Did, did, yeah, does that look like the apartment owned by a billionaire? <laughs> no. <laughs> so you had somebody who sat on the throne of Scottish, American Scottish Freemasonry inside your apartment? Yes. That, that explains a lot of things. I did sit on the throne. I don't know why you didn't take that quote about you, uh, Professor Guffey, and put that on your book. That sounds like a great oh. endorsement on your book. Oh, that, that's, a, that's a good idea. I should add it to the blurbs that are there, like on Amazon, that you see. Well, uh, like, when you see uh, Camellio, I could just like put that there. Yeah, I'd put it on the book cover. Let's talk a little bit about this article um, that, she, that she wrote. Um, for Cause if, no, if, if everyone doesn't know, like you over the last few years, you know, you've really gone on this uh this journey to study QAnon as uh, a veteran of conspiracy culture you know recognizing these these memes that are being recycled through QAnon so you really were keeping up with it those salon articles all culminated in Operation Mindfuck the book and it seems like in this latest article you're talking about how a lot of people are kind of forgetting i guess in like the news cycle that we deal with and this is still going on, still, you know, impacting us every day, still getting new adherence to this, uh, this crazy ideology. And perhaps one of the reasons why it has, to some extent, fallen off the news cycle is because, because of the strategy that they have of not mentioning QAnon anymore. So yeah. there are these things that are, that are happening that are clearly motivated by that same insane ideology. Uh, but since they're so tight-lipped about it, you know, they go out of their way not to mention QAnon, but it's still, those ripples are still, are still going. I mean, and I would yeah. include, uh, you know, this is speculation, of course, on my part, but I, I, I think it's a good bet that the Georgia Guidestones falls into that category. Uh, Professor Guffey, can I ask you, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just like a watcher on the moon uh, watching this discussion, but um, can you clarify something for me? Because I was reading your article and it's always good to sort of understand where somebody is sitting, you know, when they're perceiving and observing and watching. I, I always say the maximum that an opinion says as much about the opiner as it does its subject. Uh, sure. And um, I was just wondering, uh, you, you talk a lot about Christianity, you know, and religion uh, in there, which yeah. is obviously intertwined and embedded as a core of this. And if this is personal information, that's fine. But do you have any kind of religious background yourself or heritage or anything else that influences your thoughts or opinions on some of this? I, you know, it's interesting. The, the only uh, religion, uh, I, my parents didn't raise me with any particular religion at all, though my mm -hmm. dad w was raised an uh, Irish Catholic. Uh, and and he, he went to school at a Roman Catholic school and uh the my my uh perception of his childhood is entirely formed by all the stories he would tell me of the nuns <laughs> yeah, okay. so i remember when i was a kid watching 
the Blues Brothers with right. John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. You remember like the sadistic nun oh, yeah. in in the film? I remember my dad turning to me and saying, that's exactly what they're like. That That's not an exaggeration. That, that is exactly what they're like. And my dad telling me, you know, he would raise his hand and say, you know, is it possible for God to make to make a boulder that's so heavy that even he can't lift it? And then the ruler would just come down, you know, and like hit him on the All head. Right. Uh, so that's my main perception. <laughs> Organized religion when I was a kid was probably based on these stories that my dad would tell me about the, 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 the crazy nuns. I uh, and I made a connection. Uh, it's interesting how, because I write nonfiction and fiction, and uh, sometimes you don't know where stories come from until like years later. Uh, but I, I wrote my second book as a collection of novellas that all take place in the 1950s. It's called Spies and Saucers. And, uh, you know, I mean, anyone who's, I, I kind of freebased the 1950s contactee books, and, yeah. and it kind of came out in this way. But the first story is called The Fallen Nun. And it's about this nun that falls out of the sky and lands in this guy's marijuana garden up in Malibu. And the guy doesn't know if he should contact the police or not, because if he shows them the dead nun in his backyard, he also has to show them the marijuana garden. Right. And then these two like men in black guys show up at his house. Uh, and then it spirals off from there into like smoking the reptilian skin of a dead reptilian alien, which spontaneously triggers uh, time travel and trips to the moon. It, it, it was fun to write. Uh, anyway, I, I, based it, on it a occurred true to me. All right. <laughs> based on a true story. It, said, it occurred to me one day, oh, I bet that that nun character came out of these stories my dad would tell me about these sadistic nuns. <laughs> That would torture him when he was a kid, and, and it was just like this weird connection I made. Just all of a sudden, anyway, that's kind you of you know that could have been the flying nun that actually stalled in midair. If you remember the flying nun, I, I remember that Sally Field was in a TV series called The Flying Nun, but right. I've never seen it. Are you uh, well? Yeah. You need to. I, I assumed you were similar vintage to me. Uh, uh, I'm getting ready to turn sixty. Believe it or not, I'm still in my awkward years. Uh, are you are you anywhere near that vintage or quite a bit younger? Uh, I, I was born in 1972. 72. Okay, so I, I am like a father figure to you. Um, <laughs> did you have any other um, interactions with religion? Um, well, you know, it's a I mean, I'm just talking about like, you know, where you happen to cross paths with important people in your life that were part of it. The, the reason why I'm asking this, I'm just curious because, you know, I just to use a religious term, said a lot of amens to reading your article. And the people uh -huh. here on the show are very familiar with what my positions are. I, I have even deeper concerns because I am a person of faith. And so things have an even uglier tone than what even, you know, as bad as it is, is that you show. But um, I was just sort of curious about your background and if that influenced things or if you'd had any positive experiences with people you'd encountered or mostly negative, or what? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, uh, the, in my first book, which is called Cryptoscatology, uh, Conspiracy Theories Art Form, and cryptoscatology is a word I made up. It's crypto is Latin for secret. Scatology is the study of shit, so you put it together. Right. It's the study of secret shit, right? So uh, the first book, which is totally nonfiction, is um, uh, in there, I have an essay called, uh, well, there's two linked essays. One is called Jesus is a Robot from Outer Space, and the other one is called George W. Bush is not a Christian. And the 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 reason uh, this these two essays came about was because I was teaching at CSU Long Beach in English class, and I just happened to mention in passing that I'd gone to the 
Crystal Cathedral the day before. Mm-hmm. And and you're familiar with the Crystal Cathedral? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So it's this giant kitsch art object. Um, of course, it's no longer there. This was back in like 2006, and and uh, there I, I I go there and there's this giant statue of the Virgin Mary holding the baby Jesus, and the baby Jesus is silver. Uh, it looked like the Silver Surfer. It looked like an alien, and it's like reflecting the sun when you get up to it. It's 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 like this giant mirror in the shape of a baby, and uh, and it looked like kind of like half robot, half alien, as if half of its face might peel off and you would see like Terminator kind of gears underneath. Uh, and I was just like commenting briefly on this on the statue and a student wrote, well, not the student, the student's father wrote a letter of complaint to the school uh, and said that I said that Jesus was a robot from outer space, which I never said. I, I said that the statue looked like Mm-hmm. A robot from outer space. They're two totally different things. You know, the map and the territory. You know, this is not a cigar. Uh, the, the two things are not the same. Right. And uh, uh, as as a result, uh, I ended up writing this article called "Jesus is a Robot from Outer Space," which was published in New Dawn. And and as a result of this person's father complaining about it, far more eyes saw that sentence than ever would have seen it if they just hadn't complained about it. Uh, but but uh, in in the article, the one that's linked to it, George W. Bush is not a Christian, I, and I wrote this when George W. Bush was in office. The whole point of the article was that you know George W. Bush claims to be a Christian, and yet his his administration have has all these uh, decidedly non-Christian uh, 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 planks, you know, to his to his position. And 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 I made a point at one point in the article that. So the, the person who should be talking about this is a Christian, like not me. It's not. It's not going to seem sincere if it's coming from me. You know, it, it should come from an actual Christian. Yeah. When when the QAnon thing appeared, and I, I suddenly realized, like at the beginning of 2020, because I hadn't really been paying much attention to it until then, I suddenly realized that oh wait, a minute, you know, th- this is really dangerous. <laughs> you know, like this is potentially an extremely dangerous ideology. And they're drawing upon all these things that I'm very familiar with. But I could tell that there was all these people uh, naively interacting with it. And they had no idea that these things, these ideas were being pilfered from from Leo Taxel in the late 1800s or from Richard Shaver in the 1950s or from weird Richard Doty, Paul Benowitz <laughs> situations from the 1980s. All, all this stuff I could see where the where it was coming from, and I right. thought I thought back right. to that article I wrote where I said, you know, real, you know, Christians should be they they know, you know, they have the knowledge, so they should be writing about this. And I suddenly thought I should take my own advice. I I actually I, I have some knowledge about this. I should be writing about it, uh, and 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 maybe other people will they'll be able to see that I, I actually know what I'm talking about, unlike a lot of these kind of panic-stricken articles I was seeing in the Atlantic Monthly and in the New Yorker, where these journalists who were perfectly equipped to write about other stories yeah. were kind of like trying to wrap their brains around this whole QAnon right. phenomenon, right. and they were getting it wrong, and then Q would post links to those articles and say, you see, the deep state media, they don't even know, they're getting it all wrong. They yeah. don't even know what they're talking about. They're just grasping at straws, trying to figure it out while we're sitting here just like, yeah, I've heard that before. I've heard it's that greatest before. hits. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I heard Linda Thompson say that in 1993 when she was going around talking about Waco, the big lie. Like I heard her say that same exact thing <laughs> back then, you know? So I thought it's, it's kind of my responsibility to, to actually, you know, put up or shut up. You know, I mean, I gave this advice to, to Christians back in 2005, well, I should take my own medicine and actually sit down and do the work. And, you know, if it convinces one person uh, not to go to the Capitol on January 6th, then maybe it was worth it. Was this the same Linda Rogers that was on Hee Haw? Or Linda Thompson? No, no. Linda Thompson, yeah. She was an attorney. She was right. an attorney, and she did a documentary called Waco, the Big Lie, where she would yeah. show this footage right. of tanks supposedly shooting fire out of the tank and like setting the David Koresh compound on fire. But then if you let the footage go, maybe like 30 seconds later, you could see that what looked like fire. And in that brief moment, it actually did kind of look like fire coming out of the tank. If you let it, the, the, the footage go 30 more seconds, you could see that it was sunlight reflecting off this um, uh, kind of like silver siding from the from the ceiling that had landed on the, the tank. And so when you saw something like that, you realized, okay, this woman is purposely like she I mean she had to have known that that it was not actually a fire breathing tank and it was not a, an ATF tank that had set the compound on fire. She had to have known that, but she saw that that footage looked great. Right. And would stir up the the militia people when she went around on tours showing this documentary, and so it, it, and, and you know and it, she had all the you know, warning about the black helicopters and the UN and the concentration camps that were going to be built and all the Christians were going to be thrown into the uh, concentration camps. Let me ask you about the about the article about why you're you're looking at the evangelical right is specifically in this article and that's the reason why i pulled in uh mike is because you know he kind of fights this fight every day even in his own neighborhood he's fighting this fight like it's around him like you know he always got to do is walk outside that's literally how bad it is and it's everywhere it's pretty pervasive but i think the the evangelical right is just really truly off the deep end and it's almost like it's merging with QAnon now in many ways yeah, I mean, yeah, you see that with the Republican Party itself, you know, with what, what, what happened with Kevin McCarthy. I mean, yep. that, that uh, Kevin McCarthy right. being ousted out was entirely, yep. entirely, mm -hmm. uh, you yeah. know, without QAnon, I don't think you even have that happen. And then when, when they bring in um, uh, Mike Johnson, is that Mike Johnson, name, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Mike Johnson. It's so generic, I always forget that that's his name. They bring in Mike Johnson, and immediately, what does he do? He releases all the January 6th footage. Uh, and that was something, you know, I, 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 no matter what you think of Kevin McCarthy, I saw an interview with him and they asked him, well, what do you, what do you think about Ashley Babbitt? Was she murdered? Do th you think we should do something to this Capitol policeman who murdered this woman? And Kevin McCarthy was like, no, he was doing his job. Like, what else is he supposed to do? So obviously Kevin McCarthy wasn't, you know, towing the line. Uh, and so they replace him with Mike Johnson. He comes in and immediately releases all the January 6th footage. And then what happens? They're cherry picking it trying to find those few placid moments in the footage to try to say, you see, they were all, they were all let in. Everything you saw that day with your own eyes, you didn't see that. That was, right. that was like a, that was a deep fake. That was a hallucination. <laughs> That's not actually what happened. Trying to change history. Right. Rewriting history. Mm -hmm. And and by the way, I, I remember in, um, it was July of 20, I think it was 2022. Uh, you did a strange realities presentation with, 
Dr. Future. Can I call you Dr. Future instead of Mike? Because you, I like you, Dr. Future better. You can call me. Whatever. You know, people still call me that. I'm assuming at my funeral one day I will still be referred that way in the obituary in my eulogy. So, that, yeah, that's fine. Will it say it on the tombstone? Will it say Dr. Future? R.I.P.? That's the only way I'd be acknowledged. Otherwise, I'd be in total obscurity if it didn't. Uh, so, so I remember during that presentation, which you did right after the Georgia Guidestones, uh, I remember that you read a statement that you had prepared for something. It was a Christian podcast. It was like yeah. Canary, Cry, some, something. And, yeah. and, um, and I, I think they never... Pre- uh, presented it on the show, even though you wrote it for them to prepare. They had asked you to write something like a right. statement about the Georgia Guidestones. Right. And um, right. I remember hearing you read that and thinking that they probably expected you to say something like, you know, hooray, the satanic monoliths are <laughs> have been decimated. And instead, you wrote this wonderfully measured, rational, genuinely Christian outlook on the senseless destruction of these Guidestones. And uh, I, I remember thinking that 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 it was just beautifully written. Thank you. Uh, that 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 statement, uh, and you know, sometimes people will they'll read the articles I wrote and they'll say, you know, you're just attacking Christians, or and that, that's not the case. I'm I'm attacking far right wing Christians. Uh, I'm not I'm not even attacking them. I'm <laughs> I'm criticizing them. You know. Right. Um, well, it's been awkward for me because you know I lost a lot of those supporters. I had a huge level of support i guess it was about seventy thousand. which the in internet world that's nothing but you know on the radio you know it was doing okay for a little fringe kind of thing a christian folk but when i started speaking up about where things were going and about trump and things like that they all split really quick and um i've thought a lot about something i said right after he got elected i had two two guys had me on who had their own show that would always claim that, you know, I was their inspiration and mentor and got them involved in alternative Christian stuff. And we were on for a particular topic. And this was January 2017. So it was right around the inauguration time. And they sort of hit me with a cold one. It was off the topic. And they said, well, uh, Dr. Bennett, uh, what do you think that many of us do that um, God was behind the election of Donald Trump. And so they sort of put me on the spot, and I, I, I paused for a second or two, and I said, you know, it is possible that God is behind the election of Donald Trump, but I said, if it is, it's to expose the spiritual bankruptcy of the religious right. And things were about as quiet then as it is right now. And... <laughs> Uh, they didn't erupt into applause. Well, um, then it was damage control, you know, on their behalf, and um, they tried to throw some things out there. And what what I made it unfortunate for them is I answered with the words of Jesus, or the words of their scripture that they claim to want to follow as the crux of my concerns. And I think that's been partly why I've been sort of the the turd in the punch bowl in the Christian community. And I, you know, I'm not the only one out there saying that of Christians. There's a a lot of people who haven't bowed their knees to Baal or MAGA, but, uh, as far as my own circles, that has been like a real fly in the ointment is to have to come to terms with what to, 
what are our primary values? And are these reflecting our values or, or are we like, if you remember the story of Esau, Esau and Jacob, are, are we actually just taking a, uh, selling our birthright of spiritual guidance and direction to our society for a mess of Trump porridge? And it's really hard to get that in people's skulls, you know? Uh, I try to elaborate more in my last book to give them, you know, a plethora of scriptural, even Old Testament, New Testament, other things to lay out a carefully thought out criteria, how things are going, the wheels are coming off. And it's just so hard for them to digest. And, you know, whether you believe in the supernatural or not, or manifestations of it, if you do, I've told Adam many times I can't explain by total rational processes the extreme vigor that people I know or used to think I knew that were very devout, loving, compassionate persons of the Christian faith that have now expressed what may have been their id all along. And now it's been normalized to a super ego through Trump, where now that's the norm, the darkest, darkest recesses of what they snickered about, the racist jokes, you know, out on the church porch. And now it's from the pulpit. And um, so I, I guess what I'm saying, and the audience knows this, my level of concern beyond what you show here, which is enough to keep people awake at night, is even deeper than that. Because if there is a supernatural component, it's, it looks a, a lot akin to a sorcery. That is going on because it's hard to explain it. Now, you know, we saw the, the Nazi era and what happened to a society that was on the forward edge of Western society and civilization and culture and even Christian compassion, which suddenly did an about face and drummed up old nationalistic and albeit racist views that I guess never had really died in that part of Western Europe. So, I mean, I can admit that, the, you know, we have a precedent. We don't we don't have to get too strange in our explanation of why it's gotten to where it is. But, you know, there are things you can study, and I, I know that you'd be interested in this, in strange quarters to find some answers. Because you mentioned in here, and you, you quote uh, Lovecraft in your article about, you know, the, the deepest emotion is fear and the deepest is fear of the unknown. When, when I did the last uh, presentation I did for their Strange Realities Conference for Surfiel and for Adam, I showed some studies I had done with the Dean of Stage Hypnotist, uh, Armin McGill, who I don't know if that name rings a bell with you. He did a lot of stuff in the Far East with Far Eastern phenomena and the fakers and the other stuff. He, he was very close to Ron Orman who produced a lot of very strange exploitation Christian films. Uh, in fact, their son, who was on our show, was the uh, godson of Bella Lugosi. And, and I know uh -huh. Bella rings, you know, rings a bell with you there. Um, but, uh, uh, well, I, I don't want to go too far off on this, but on, on, the, on the hypnosis thing, one of the things that they teach in there, and this is the book that's the Bible of hypnosis, written in 1947, and it says when you, when you have skeptics in the room, skeptics like, you know, frat boys or whatever that are hecklers or whatever, you want to ask them up on the stage 
And when you get them up on the stage, you just grab a hand and pick them up. You just whack them on the head. Just, just you know, it doesn't have to be hard. But what you do is you startle them. And when you startle them, it puts them in a suggestible state. And that's when they do that and they say, you are asleep. And convincingly, they'll hit the deck. The other thing he talks about is he says, sometimes in your stage presentation, you have to put in an element of fear. And so that's why you see all that hocus pocus stuff, you know, in the Far East mysticism things when they do it, because they said the element of fear puts people in the highest state of suggestibility. And it's not just QAnon people who are, you know, uh, capitalizing on that or MAGA. All of the emails I get every day from Christian ministries in my email basket, which, of course, they're all fundraising. Is it right. they're all fear based because that's about the only thing that gets people up off their chair. I mean, there there wouldn't have been a thriving John Birch Society or a Ku Klux Klan without the element of fear and existential fear. So I yeah, I just want to say I think you're completely right about the fear motivation, but there is a you know that they have sort of gotten a little bit onto some of the mechanics in the mind of how the left lobe of the brain begins to go to sleep when you do these exercises and the right lobe, which accepts everything that comes in without question is highly suggestible to take that material in. So everybody who's using this work, unless they're really sort of sharp, like an Edward Bernays kind of person in public relations, even, even they may not understand this, but they just know that it works. It's sort of like dowsing, you know, People don't know how it works, but it works. And so that's why I think the fear element is something we need to be flagging. Like like you said to your poor, hapless uh, radio show host at the beginning of your article, is that when you see somebody peddling fear is the main thing, beware. But the bad thing is, is that they fall for it because it seems to be what the people want. Yeah, well, let me add that recently... Um... One of the things that I found out and found interesting about social media is that it is geared towards conflict. We always talk about oh, that this is just a sorry byproduct of social media that people are getting into fights on social media and conflict. But now the algorithms feed on conflict and that conflict on a, on a Facebook post just blows that particular post up. And it also greatly feeds on people's fears as well. So like that, just kind of like using all that sinister mass psychology. I uh, I remember about ten years ago, or even earlier, reading this article, and it was it was advice on how to get um, attention, followers on the internet, and it was kind of like a like a, the top ten ways of doing it. And the number one piece of advice was uh, be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Because being wrong got more attention than than being right, you know. Because you, yeah. you know, I mean, some right. people would either fall for what you're saying, or other people would read it because they get angry because you're obviously wrong, you know. Um, I I'm kind of curious about. I remember reading an article, and I briefly I think mentioned this in Operation Mindfuck about Omega Kingdom Ministries, which was this like online QAnon um, church. It was like a church of QAnon where they would 
uh, interpret the latest Q post through scripture. Um, and uh, the, in this article that was about that, they were talking about other churches where they were interviewing uh, like pastors who, who were saying that, yes, suddenly they had to deal, contend with this QAnon um, situation amongst their followers. Uh, and that they would actually, at, in the beginning, try to talk about it, like from the pulpit, like try to say, uh, hey, you know, uh, you know, a lot of this, you, maybe you should be skeptical about this or that. And they got an immediate pushback <laughs> to the point where they were, they were going to lose everybody. Like, everybody was just going to leave. <laughs> so then they, they felt like they had to start reeling it back in and, and keeping quiet about it. Um, uh, and I thought, I thought, well, that that that's fascinating. I mean, if it's it's so um, so commonplace that you're afraid you're going to lose the entire church mm-hmm. <laughs> to QAnon if you criticize it, mm-hmm. um, right? I mean, this is an unfortunate part of I think modern day Christianity, and especially in like you know these kind of like smaller churches that don't have a you know. A, a central hub, like say the Presbyterians or the Methodists or something like that. You know, the thing is, is that to get the donations and everything, they have to pretty much whatever the congregation feels, there's no preaching to the congregation. The congregation almost controls and sets the standards and the policies of the church, because if they don't, they'll lose those people. They're more afraid of losing people than, actually being you know doing correct things or you know or having some kind of moral conscience it's very right. sad yeah they're acting out they're acting out of fear they're afraid right. of losing their yeah. their followers and their and their money now right. I, I have a question loser livelihood uh, uh uh in terms of like leaving QAnon out of it for a moment uh you were talking about these these emails that you see you know requests for donations etc um are, are are you saying that um, this kind of fear-based way of uh, of uh, pulling in um, funds, donations, uh, would you leaving QAnon aside? Would you say that that's definitely gone up since, say, 2016? That 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 the the quality of the emails, this kind of fear-based quality, has risen uh, incredibly since 2016. Oh, no question, no question. They have, and they're more. They've got more chutzpah and and more brash in what they do. Uh, used to be you had the usual lineup of suspects, communists that were hidden, you know, uh, might have been some stuff on civil rights, which then they tried to tie to the communist. Um, there, there, there was a short list of boogeymen, you know. Uh, if you got really heavily into fundamentalists, then you worried about minorities who were going to come rape their women, their white women, and things like that. But uh, QAnon has opened all sorts of new vistas to make people think that they're intelligent and know more about what their eyes have been open, sort of like what taking the red pill or whatever. But but I would say there's a precursor to that. In in have, you know growing up in the evangelical classic culture, the precursor of that was the explosion of the Bible prophecy movement with Hal Lindsey and the late great Planet Earth, which was the biggest selling book of the 1970s. Uh, 
That yes. totally transformed the evangelical church where they began to see like acts like they read in the Bible that are in today's headlines. Right. Ripped from today's headlines. And so they wanted to suddenly become news hounds and realize what's happening in Israel, what's happening in Iran or Turkey or things like this. Now, if you go back and read the original bestseller, it's very, very much a Cold War yeah. mindset. Russia is the main culprit of being Magog and most everything is either communist fighting or it's a reaction to it. Like the European uh, Union, uh, or what was it called? The European Common Market at the time, uh, which was supposed to be where the beast would take over. And some of that was a reactionary, sort of like a Hegelian dialectic of communism. Uh, but what it did was it energized people in the pews. And I'll have to admit myself and my older brother, you know, we got that book at a Kmart in 1976 and read it overnight. And it wasn't long after that cable TV showed up. So you actually had access to people who were specialists, like Bible prophecy specialists, or like people who were like Jack, Jack Van Impey yeah. and some other guys similar to them, yeah. who would actually read the news that week and they would tell you, they would process it for you, just like mm -hmm. processed food of where this fit in on the chart, on the timeline. That really groomed people to be ready for QAnon, which took it to the next level. Mm -hmm. And that and, kind of like interpretive behavior that surrounded like trying to parse out the fulfillment of Bible prophecy and current events, that has a lot of parallels in the same uh in, in conspiracism and how conspiracism works and, you know, decoding things just like people have to decode yeah. and interpret uh, cues drops or whatever. It's a, it's the same kind of thing. Right. You know, the next big purge was in the eighties with the new age movement. And, you know, a lot of this stuff is on your stomping grounds, professor. Southern California is where the action is on everything. Extreme everything. And the, John Birch Society, Orange County, um, hardcore right, really influenced uh, people like the, was it Matricianas and others in the Christian documentary film community and others, the Calvary Chapel movement and others that really started pushing hard right was Zionism. I mean, there, there, there would not have been a Zionist movement in America without the Bible prophecy movement. Um but all of that laid and then went into this anti-New Age movement, which was like a whole new vista of fears people could have. And then eventually we got to um, um, Islamophobia, uh, you know, with, with 2001. And so we in Middle Tennessee here was ground zero for that for mm -hmm. about four or five years and so every step, we've been able to add a new set of people to ha first be afraid of and then hate. And now it's our next door neighbors that QAnon yeah. tells us to be afraid of. Now it's everybody except a handful of people in your basements. It, it, here's, the, here's the irony of it. you In the QAnon kind of things, you trust strangers who you can't even see on the chat boards. Those are the people you put your trust in. Your neighbors that you've known for 40 years, those are the people who now become suspect. Right. You know, that, it's interesting. I, I, 
it's like everything's upside down. The, the, I noticed that, it, 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 I remember reading a book called Prophecy and Politics, uh, which came out in the 1980s. It was by a journalist named Grace Halsell, and it was all about the grip that uh, this kind of, uh, you know, the rapture and all that had on the Reagan administration and on actual policy making uh, at that time uh, in in the 80s. And then you you uh, go forward and uh, to Y2K, uh, and and I remember at the time there were uh, the the uh, the ADL actually put out uh, a kind of um, a report that was to be distributed among law enforcement agencies to help the police understand the kind of apocalyptic thinking of evangelical Christians at that time, like in you know 1999, yeah. as as we headed into into 2000, and at that time the apocalyptic scenario involved. Uh, Y2K, the year 2000 is going to stop. That you know that the 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 computers were, everything was going to shut down, and uh, there were, and this is around the time that the Left Behind series is coming out, and there were a lot of these people, uh, evangelical Christians, saying, oh, that you know they were going to use this as a um, excuse. The federal government was going to use this as an excuse to throw you know fundamental Bible believing Christians into concentration camps, uh, et cetera. Um, And it's almost like, it's like the, the, it's it's like the same scenario. The fear is already there and it needed like the perfect conduit. It needed the perfect story. And Y2K wasn't quite the perfect story, but somehow some think tank (laughs) that, you know, team QAnon came along and figured out the perfect story. And uh, I remember, um, I remember thinking, you know, all the effort that went into this, like the the team of culture vultures who got together and threw all this crap together to create the QAnon mythos. Imagine all of that cleverness, because I, I mean, you could you could sit back and kind of admire the cleverness of it to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, take all that effort, all that cleverness. Uh, and imagine putting all that effort into creating a mythology or a story that actually brings people together <laughs> rather than promotes fear. Right. I, I mean, imagine that, you know, uh, and of course, it would never occur to them <laughs> to, to, to do that. But, you know, you could you, you could use those same resources, uh, that same kind of imagination mm-hmm. to to create a mythos that brings people together. You know, um, you know the sad thing about that, and and I'm going to show my bias here, but the thing, one thing that could really do that if it was handled with integrity, was the original gospel story. The original gospel story. I'm not talking about organized religion and all that mess. Right, right. I'm talking sure. about it was a story that it didn't matter what race you were, the prior religion you formed. We're we're not going to diss your religion. We're just going to say, here's some things that we know we agree on, on values like the golden rule and loving your creator. And everybody's going to start with a clean slate. We're going to bury the hatchet on old animosities. That's how that was originally presented back in the, you know, from what we have of the writings of the days of Jesus. And, it, you know, it didn't take but a generation for that to disappear. Within a generation, the unifying part of tearing down walls totally disappeared with a new set of walls. So there's mm-hmm. something either endemic to the human mind or what influences the mind 
that wants to put walls and separation and, and gathers their identity from it. You know, there, there were some things in your article that I went through that I thought were really interesting points about how they have learned not to be too descriptive and mm. or they insinuate. Yeah. There are insinuations and innuendo about people. I'm just asking people, questions. That's to let people way. connect the dots. Yeah. Well, one thing right. from a very practical standpoint, that's that's good practice from lawsuits. Okay. If you make indirect uh, innuendo, you know, you might save your own neck. But um something this is in my my last book that I wrote, Two Two Gospel, Two Masters. Uh that when back when Christian media started, like around 1940, and then it kicked up in the 50s, it was all corporate America that put it together to stop the New Deal. Um, when they first ran the first stuff that they were talking about, about how the poor were a burden, about unions were a drag, the government was evil inherently, the feedback they got from clergymen back then, who were a little bit more clever than they are today, they said, we can see clearly this is big business propaganda. This information, even though you're laundering it through some nonprofit, it's clearly backed by big business and their values. And so they got chastened over being too heavy handed. So what all of these big pitchmen who were, you know, had unlimited budgets in public relations did through their Christian organs was they decided that they would basically frame the problem through their media organs to the clergy of America, but let them feel like they were participating in coming up with the response. And what they found psychologically is if you frame the problem correctly, you don't have to be heavy handed with the response. You will groom them to pick the response that you want, and it will feel like that they have chosen it themselves. And I think this ties into the point you were making in your article about um, like Aquino, you know, th that other wonderful spiritual man that whom just passed, who I follow all the time. Um, but in the, I have another old film analogy, which I think you'll appreciate off the top of my head. You know, if you keep an enemy very vague in your descriptions, like you say they, that they have done, what happens is everyone's collective imaginations will make things much worse even than what they could come up with. And I think you see that practice if you look back in the old black and white movies of the 30s. I try to get younger people to watch some of those movies, particularly horror films from the 30s, and they just can't fathom watching a black and white movie, particularly one without, um, you know, computer-aided you know, things. And I say, and they don't understand. They says, well, this just looks so primitive and old and whatever i said what's the easiest choice you can make window instead of middle seat picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket outsourcing business tasks you hate what about selling with shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage 
all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's important in those movies, Dracula or Frankenstein or anything else like that, particularly my favorite, The Black Cat, it's not what you see on the screen that makes it horrific. It's what you don't see that's in the shadows. They put a spotlight on the central figure in it, but it's surrounded by black on the image, on the screen. And what generations of people have done is been terrified of what they think is in the shadows. Once you make it, you know, you make a movie like Hostel or the Saw movies where you actually get to see every second of them taking the saw and cutting somebody's leg off or something, it gets to be rather banal at some point. And oh, so, yes, I... Yeah. Uh, no. Well, I, it was just... My, my, my daughter is... Uh, she just turned 16, and so I raised her on a steady diet of black and white universal horror movies. Okay. <laughs> and... One of, one of her favorite is uh, is the Cat People, the Val Luton RKO, the Cat People, uh, which definitely uh, you know Val Luton knew how to leave things to the imagination, um, and 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 a, and a part of that was of course dealing with censorship at the time. There are certain things you couldn't show, and yet uh, they often had to use their imagination to figure out a way around that, and and the result was sometimes it would make it even more disturbing than when. It would otherwise be, but uh, I, I recently showed her for the first time uh, Citizen Kane, yeah. and it was fascinating watching the film now because I hadn't seen it in a long time. And there's there's one scene after Charles Foster Kane has uh, he's running for election, if you recall, and then and then it, it you know it, it comes out you know his his opponent uh, outs him that he he has this mistress, and so his campaign. 
uh, is over. And so there's a scene where you, they're at the, the newspaper and they have two uh, headlines ready for tomorrow's newspaper. And, and they hold it up and one says, uh, Kane wins in landslide. The other one says, fraud at polls. Right, and they yeah. go, which one? Which mm-hmm. one should we go with? Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, uh, Everett Van Sloan says, "Go with fraud at polls." <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, it was such a perfect parallel to to Trump. And I actually read somewhere where Trump said that Citizen Kane was his favorite movie, yeah. uh, which just uh, just blows my mind. But everything that you're saying makes perfect sense. And, 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 you know, in terms of the, um, you know, leaving things vague, so you have to fill in the blanks with your own imagination. That's yeah. kind of the brilliant part about QAnon is that it, it is a participatory horror story. Yep. Uh, uh, and, and it, it allows you to take part in it in like a LARP, like a live action role-playing game. Yeah. And as I mentioned, in operation Mindfuck, you can see, you can see traces of that. Back in the '40s, with the with the Richard Shaver mystery, where people would write in and add in little bits of um, uh, new pieces of evidence for the existence of the Daros or the Taros, you know, and then people would go spelunking, looking for the the subterranean realms, you know, and so the 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 readers would participate in the growing mythology. Right. Um, I, I it's interesting. I I read. Um, uh, I was reading an article about the Reawaken America tour, the mm-hmm. one that's started Rant. by Michael Flynn, right. Michael Flynn and uh, Clay Clark. Um, by, by the way, Michael Flynn, he just put out a children's book called Attack of the Snow Monster. Okay. <laughs> I, just, I, I just, I thought, I thought, wait a minute, I, he's already uh, poisoned the well of high strangeness. Now he has to plant his flag in cryptozoology as well. <laughs> Has the man no shame? Um, so yeah, we, we know our favorite library crusader will be back here to Hendersonville. He'll get it on the shelf. Is the snow monster <laughs> a veiled reference, like Hunter Biden or something? Is that what it's supposed to be? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I, I I I suspect he didn't even write it. But but yeah, uh, yeah. You know, but but um, uh, in this article about the Reawaken America tour, where you know they're going around saying things like, um, uh, you know that that if. That in the COVID vaccine are, are, are bits of Jeffrey Epstein's DNA. Uh, so if you take the COVID vaccine, you will have Epstein's DNA inside of you. Uh, I mean, this is Clay Clark, you know, the co-founder of the uh, of the Reawaken America tour, saying this, you know, at every at every stop, um, and and people nodding their heads and saying, "Oh yes, I can." See. I saw an interview with Clay Clark, and there was this this radio host was interviewing him, and he went through the whole thing about Marino Abramovich and Bill Gates had got together to put Epstein's DNA in the COVID vaccine, and the radio host nods his head and he goes. I, I'm impressed by the the level of evidence that you have for what you're saying. There was no evidence. <laughs> he hadn't mentioned any evidence. Uh, um, uh, and, 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 but what was interesting was in the article they actually mentioned how a lot of these uh, reawaken America events were occurring in churches. Yeah. However, oh, they yeah. they also mentioned that Here there are a lot of churches that actually would not allow them to put the event on there were some churches that were like you know keep moving pal uh, you're not yeah. doing that here so i mean that was like a a ray of hope in the in the article you know uh there were some churches that were saying we don't want this here yeah. right 
But there's yeah, I mean there's so there was hey, by the way, um, Adam, can, can I just add real quick? I yeah. I want to put this on the record. When you mentioned role playing game, uh uh Professor uh, Guffey, I, I had mentioned to Adam that I wanted to do a Dungeons and Dragons kind of role playing game about the January sixth insurrection where you could actually have characters that either played like a three percenter or a proud boy or oath keepers and you could actually take those instead of elf or wizard or whatever and you know you could have like american flags that are sharp and pole on the end for and and instead of orcs you would fight law enforcement and capital police and sometimes you would run into like witches like nancy pelosi but the whole thing is to descend down into the bowels of the capital yeah find where all the children are actually kept you know by the democrats <laughs> and so you would go a party and you know if you could get like you know a special guide sort of like uh gandalf or i was thinking maybe the QAnon shaman right uh, right who could yes. actually lead the party uh, you know, through all of the orcs of Capitol Hill police. They'll shut uh, up, pass. Down, <laughs> down into the lore, and, you know, you'd have, like, adrenochrome that you could drink, and that would add your strength points and things like that. So what do you think? Do you think there'd be some potential for a game like that? I, I think that that would... Uh, th that's that's a, I want points on that. Can I get in on this as an investor? Well... Uh, I, <laughs> let's well you, you you hang out with all the big wigs there S silicon valley's not far away so uh run that well, bomb and if not if that's too ambitious then at least i want to do a commemorative chess set where we actually I, have I, I, you know the trump and it, his crowd against the capitol hill police you know and pelosi you know you like you roll the dice to see if you can pee on nancy pelosi's podium and stuff like that i mean i the the uh well you got to find her office first you got to find her office Put your feet you up know, on it, 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 it's it, it's interesting that um that the whole live action role playing aspect of it is Robert Anton Wilson had actually done something similar to this with okay. completely different intentions. Uh, I, I remember I have a friend uh, Randy Copang who is uh, a ufologist uh, who wrote a book called Camouflage Through limited disclosure about UFOs. And Randy uh, told me, he remembers going to, um, it was an event that was actually at the Masonic Hall in, in LA uh, back in 1993. It was called Millennium Madness. And Tim Leary was there, Paul Krasner, uh, Jack Herrera, who wrote uh, The Emperor Wears No Clothes about uh, marijuana, and, and Robert Anton Wilson. Uh, those, I think, were the four speakers. And Robert Anton Wilson was, at the time, doing this thing I can't remember what he called it, but it was a it was a game that he would do, and you would play it. It was like live action role playing. He would give out um, different roles, and so one person might pick you're a man in black, or someone else might say you find out that you're an FBI agent, but you're secretly working for the Soviet Union, or uh, and then someone else would be you know like the intrepid journalist trying to find out you know what at the bottom of the conspiracy is, or someone else might pick a space alien, but you're in human form. And then you had to actually play out the game. And, and, and Randy said that, you know, by the time you got to the end of the game, your head was in a totally different space. And for like days afterwards, you would see like Kabbalistic signs and license plates. 
yeah. and things like this. And and Robert Anton Wilson said that you know the whole purpose of it was to kind of like act as a almost like LSD circuit breaker, you know, breaking you out of your own patterns, your own your own headspace, right? Um, and uh, but it's interesting how that can have a totally different effect. It's like what Terrence McKenna said about psychedelics, where he said there are some people who need to maintain boundaries and some people who need to dissolve boundaries. And most people need to dissolve boundaries because of, you know, entrainment or propaganda or how they were raised. Uh, and so McKenna said, yes, those people should, they should experiment with psychedelics to dissolve boundaries. But there are some people who need to maintain boundaries. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, and it's similar to Israel Regardi. Uh, saying that before you mess around with ceremonial magic, you should have some background in in uh, psychology, because uh, otherwise you'll get lost, you know, uh, in the mazes of the mind. And I really think you can throw conspiracy theory in with psychedelics uh, and uh, ceremonial magic, uh, in the sense that you should have some background, <laughs> maybe perhaps in psychology, before you even begin messing around with it. I, I-, I was interested, in the, you know. Uh, a few months ago, I, I went on uh, Mark Marin's WCF podcast, oh. yeah, uh, yeah. and uh, w- uh, he he records it out of his house uh, in a little like this little hut, <laughs> a little shack around <laughs> around the back of his house. So I went up to the doorstep, and there's a placemat that says WTF on it, and I ring the bell, and he comes to the door, and in his hand he's holding a first edition of Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare <laughs> by Michael Hoffman. Which took me by surprise, and I knew it was the first edition because it was white. The first edition's white, the second one is red, and I think the third one is black. But uh, and then he also had a first edition of Apocalypse Culture in his hand, and I I immediately laugh and I turn to my friend. I go, he comes to the door with a first edition of Secret Societies of Psychological Warfare, and then Mark Maron goes, hey, look, I, you know, I did my research, and um, so when we did the interview, he starts suddenly he starts t- talking about James Shelby Downard. Like, I didn't expect for the conversation to start that way. Uh, and it was clear that he was very conversant with Downard and King Kill 33rd Degree, and that he had read it, the essay, King Kill 33rd Degree, back in the late 80s. Uh, and then he proceeded to tell me how it actually affected him so much that he kind of spun out of control and he was seeing like weird Kabbalistic messages in buildings around LA and stuff. <laughs> and he had to like, you know, put it behind him. Um, you so got, went down I, I that just, synchro mystical rabbit hole, bro. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So you know, some people need to maintain boundaries, <laughs> and some people need to dissolve boundaries. And James Shelby Downard is definitely a, um, you know, I, I guess he's the 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 equivalent of psilocybin. That's a bad or trip. Ayahuasca. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bad trip. <laughs> Well, I want to ask you guys where where you think it's going, or at least what's the current state of the QAnon phenomenon. I mean, we're talking about how a lot of people seem to be uh, changing how they talk about it publicly on the mainstream media. There's always been this kind of dance uh, around that. But just like we've talked about these previous movements uh, going way back, like Dr. Future was talking about, we know that like the particulars don't really matter and that this can evolve into something else very quickly uh, if it loses its uh, utility. The more up-to-date stuff in this article 
uh, Robert, where where do you think it really is now, and uh, how how is it going to impact the coming election here? Well, you know, uh, taking it taking it even beyond uh, the article, I think um, I was listening to um, your um, year in review show, and I think Adam mentioned that he had seen the documentary Love Has Won. Yes, the, I did. the, the cult. Of I've Other seen God. it now too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's okay. Wild. I'm glad you saw that. I want to. I want to add to what you're about to say too, though. Um, I think I know where you're going. Mike mentioned just briefly when he's going over this history of Southern California. It seems now that like Christianity and like this really right wing evangelical Christianity and the New Age almost agree each other nine times out of ten now than yeah. they used to. They they call it Wuhanon. Yeah. <laughs> it's the merging of of. Uh, of QAnon and and the New Age, the um, uh, we, you know, there's an old phrase, uh, you know, when a nut rolls, it ends and ends up in Southern California. You know, I mean, David Icke couldn't find an audience in in England, so he came to Southern California uh, back in the '90s. You know, um, uh, the the well, you 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 sent me a link to a uh, what is it, the, the Acai Bowl store yeah, that was a manga. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, there's there's an Acai. Um, Acai store somewhere in Southern California. <laughs> and I was like, you got to check this out. It's like it's like it's, it, it, it's a Trump yeah. themed Acai Berry store. Perfect metaphor. It's in Redlands, uh, California. Perfect okay. metaphor. You couldn't make that up. See, that's I remember hearing an interview with Steve Gerber. Steve Gerber was a comic book writer who created Howard the Duck. And he said in an interview back in the late 80s, he wasn't sure if he could ever go back to writing Howard the Duck because the world had become, quote, parasatirical, unquote, meaning whatever you made up by the time you got into print, it already would have happened. Uh, and that's the perfect. I mean, if you made up in a story, a MAGA acai bowl store in Southern California, no one would, they would say that's too outrageous. It's too on the nose. No yeah, one would buy that. Right, right. Um, but, but I mean, you know, t- removing this from the just evangelical Christianity, that documentary is a pretty good example of, uh, I mean, we, you know, we're used to reading about, like, the, the Manson family in retrospect, or we're used to reading about Jonestown in retrospect 50 years ago. And, and people like Bo Greitz and John Judge, they claim that Jonestown was a government mind control experiment. And then you got, like, Tim O'Neill and Chaos who claims that the Manson family might have been an MKUltra experiment. I don't dismiss either of these claims. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's quite plausible, given that MKUltra was running ramshot over the U.S. at that time. I don't think anything like that was going on with the cult of, of Mother God. I mean, I doubt it. Um, but that makes it even scarier, because it's like a microcosm for the state that we're, we're in. Well, uh, I mean, you just have... Yeah. Well, we should explain... Like the Mother God cult, for people that have not seen it, like Amy Carlson uh, took about just about everything she could from anywhere that was kind of that was new agey, but she also borrowed a lot of ascended master shit that filters through and, theosophy and, yes, and, and, and the NIM and uh, Claire Prophet's group, all that shit she just kind of filtered into it and one of the ascended masters which is these spirit guys that she would said she spoke to one was robin williams but she also claimed that trump was her father and And trump was their only living patron saint 
Right. And that in that when she died and her followers expected her to rise again, they thought Trump was going to come down on Air Force One and take her with him. So Trump is like included into this new age philosophy that you would think would be ostensibly something for those somebody like Marianne Williamson or somebody, you know, but it's like really diverged into this radical right wing politics. It's like and, and, and I'll bring up like. Claire Prophet's group, like she was kind of, she like that was one group that you could say that they were radically right wing, and a lot of right wing resources were put into that group, which you know I'm that sure filters you, straight into QAnon. You you probably noticed that they, I mean, they, they kept using the word red pilled, and there was one point yeah. where they actually right. had this kind of like QAnon kind of graph that they were you know, pointing at or, or talking about, yeah. um, they, they genuinely believe they're living in a hologram. Um, the matrix fucked up a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's something uh, I would like to add real quick is that in addition to like what we think of as these, these new age paradigms, there is a, a neo-gnostic, uh, component that is exactly what you're talking about. That's influenced by the matrix that, uh, all this, these social media people are increasingly talking about the simulation and, and glitches in the matrix and all this is feeding into it too. So it's not just about questioning politics and coming up with these conspiracy theories. It's about questioning reality itself. Surfio has found some crazy shit on TikTok. I, well, you know, I mean, uh, I, I thought it was fascinating that, um, we're, we're, we're used to like it's like Jonestown or the the Manson family, where the cult leader will tell the followers to go and uh, kill someone else, sacrifice someone else, or or kill themselves. Right. What was fascinating about this was that everything she did, it was like a Greek tragedy. It was everything the this woman did to attain followers leads to her own slow torture and <laughs> destruction. You know, I mean. Uh, there's one point where she actually begs them to take her to a hospital. And one of these like wide eyed followers says, Oh no, we can't take her to a 4d hospital. That's a death sentence. (laughs) She's this living skeleton who's turned blue from ingesting too much colloidal silver. Now, I mean, even by the standards of, of alternative health. And I, you know, I know some people who, you know, swear by the homeopathic, uh, you know, micro dosing of, of colloidal silver. You're supposed to, you know, add like a tiny, tiny drop to a glass of water. She's chugging it back. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like a right. Bottle of- she overwhelmed her system and didn't yeah, help she that she had to can liver from being a raging alcoholic. I, I loved when they went down to Hawaii and then she claimed to be Pele. Mm-hmm. And she thought that was going to work the same way it worked with these other people. And the Hawaiians basically kicked her ass off the island. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and, and it's weird is that, I mean, th- there's that documentary. And then around the same time, there was another documentary called Escaping the Twin Flames. Yeah. That, that's about another crazy cult. And it was like this dating service that transformed into this like fascist Scientology-like cult. Um and and at one point in the documentary, you have one of the ex-members saying that it was her job to surveil and harass ex-members who like flew the coop. And and at one point, she like shows you her her like database of personal information that she's collected on these people to aid in like stalking them. Um, it's it's almost like it's like everything I wrote about in Camellio 
it's like you don't even need to pay the gang stalkers anymore. They'll just join your cult. <laughs> They'll do it for free and think they're doing it for the spiritual advancement of the universe or something. You know, um, I, what's interesting about the, 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 you know, love has won uh, the cult of mother God thing is that it's, you know, it's divorced from evangelical Christianity, even though there's all this God talk, it's certainly not what we think of as mainstream evangelical Christianity. And it's mixed in with all this other stuff, new age, UFOs, uh, conspiracy theory. And, it's, it, again, it's not something that happened 50 years ago where you can say, oh, that was the 60s. <laughs> Everything was crazy back then. You know, I mean, this this, this just happened. Um, and uh, it's it's that that documentary, I think, is almost like it's like a microcosm for for just the utter empty headed, you know, gullibility, you know, uh, uh, the willingness to give your life over to the first guru who you set your eyes on. You know, well, that's, 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 why, that's why a lot of uh, Christians I, that I talk to in my circles uh, don't seem to like it when I compare MAGA followers to the Manson girls. And Well, first of all, they don't know even <laughs> what I'm talking about. Uh, and then when I explain it, they take offense. But it, to me, it's the most accurate description that I can give. If you remember the, the Manson trials and you could see them just skipping along. And if any respectable, credentialed, experienced speaker would make any statement, they would categorically dismiss it as fake news. But if their holy, you know, mystic follower said anything, that was the only news they trusted. And we looked at them as like incredible oddities back then on the news during the trial and things. But I think we've got basically 50% of a nation that's turned into Manson girls. I, I, I saw a poll uh, that was, I think it was from last year, that said about 30% of Americans, you know, p put some validity into QAnon. That's, yeah. you know, that's a lot of people. That's a yeah. lot of people. It's a critical mass because they're highly motivated. Yeah. They're not people who sit on the couch. You know, I went to meet a friend of ours who was my original co-host of my old Future Quake show, uh, in another suburb here in Nashville, you know, more of a country kind of, it's not country, but it's, you know, it's not urban, super urban, but growing. And I'm sitting in the Mexican restaurant on the patio waiting for him to arrive. And there's an older couple over there. And I just happened to ask them, say, how are y'all doing? What's on your mind? The first statement out was their concern about all of the children that were being held captive underneath the Capitol building that the Democrats were holding that needed to be rescued. And I found out that this guy was an Assembly of God pastor at a very prominent church there, and his wife. And th they didn't even know who I was. This was the first statement out of their m mouth when I asked them, you know, what's on their mind. And, and I have shared with them, you know, I, I live in a nice neighborhood. It's on the northern suburb, so it's not the real trendy side like the South is with the country music stars in Nashville. But, you know, we got a lot of McMansion homes that people have saved for for decades, you know, when they arrive and have a decent home. But these people all are very, very involved in a local mega Baptist church a block down the street. Just, you know, I was raised as a Southern Baptist myself. 
And they're all very active in teaching, teaching young people and kids. And and I've told uh, both of these gentlemen here the stuff that I hear just walking the dog. You know, we had one guy in our neighborhood who I found out was, uh, you know, he always dressed in military fatigues. And these are all really, really nice homes, nice, clean-cut neighborhood. But he always just had that kind of look, big, bushy beard. And I found out that he was a uh, veteran of Fallujah. And had seen some pretty intense combat. And after a while of just hearing a few statements, I could tell that he'd never really left the battlefield. And, you know, he started playing Gregorian chants out loud when we'd walk in the neighborhood. And I asked him why. And he says, well, this this is the music of our race. We have to preserve the music of our race. And this guy was very, very popular with all of the Christians in our neighborhood. And I I remember going over for a little block party thing that we were personally invited to. And I went down to see if the guys needed help grilling. And he, a couple of his buddies were there from local, from Fort Campbell, not far from here. And one of them was a sniper and one of them was something else like that. And the first thing they asked me when I introduced myself was that they'd heard that I had done survivability work. Uh, and they asked me if I could design armor for, to protect from high-caliber rounds for their regular passenger cars. <laughs> now, they never met me. And I asked them, I said, well, you know, uh, when we do this, you really have to know the threat and the engagement scenario to customize something. I said, can you explain what the engagement scenario will be for your passenger cars? And they said, well, we're not at liberty to share that with you. <laughs> And I I went by his house in, I guess, middle of January uh, 2021, uh, and I asked him what he was doing. He was looking at something in his garage, just walking by, walking the dog, and he was studying on a screen, and it was, it, it was actually, it was right before January 6th. And he says, oh, it's going down. It's going down. I said, what? He says, he says, dang it, I can't go, but my buddies are all heading there. This this injustice is going down tomorrow. And he, I said, well, what is? He says, I can't tell you, but we've all got it worked out on the boards, and they're all heading that way. And he's, he's so loaded. I'm sorry? This was on January 5th. Yeah, it was like, a, I think it was actually the day before, uh, if I remember right. And, but now everybody loves this guy. And I remember later walking the dog and there was a, you know, middle-aged woman lives across the street from us that had joined us. And she just happened to mention off the cuff in our distract in our discussion. She says, yeah, that fellow, he's taught me so many things like, like how Hitler really wasn't that bad a guy that he was just rid of the bad Jews. Now, these are teachers in the Baptist church here. And, you know, another woman who's actually, she's sort of a star on local access TV and stuff and rubs shoulders with celebrities. And she's big on her Christian teaching. And this was during the George Floyd uh, um, thing, which is why I ended up leaving my church. I was an officer in the church and on the board, and I've sort of picked a scab and found a bunch of racism uh, just under the level that I wouldn't have anything to do with. But anyway, 
the, the George Floyd protests were going on in Nashville. And as I, I just walked by her and asked how she was doing, what was on her mind. And the first statement she made with a smile is she says, you know, those, those black folk, they, they're not going to come up here because they know we've got guns here and we know how to handle them. Praise Jesus. And between that and the homophobic comments, you know, uh, you know, obsession over these things, I, I see a dissent. And, you know, all it takes is a few buzzwords. It's like, you know, hearing somebody say, is there any help for the widow's son? You know, you know, you're dealing with a Freemason. Well, if you hear him say something like, I just don't like seeing where this country is going. Yeah. Well, you can fill in the blanks on it. You know, uh, so right under my nose here, and th this is a community that was known for its kindness, known for, you know, my, my wife is from the deeper south where they'll give you a smile. But if you cross them, they'll send you home in a pine box. Well, Tennessee was a little bit kinder, gentler, you know, version of that. At least that was my experience. But I really think that id has now been made manifest into the super ego yeah. and it makes me scared. Yeah. I'm a, I'm, I'm a white boy walking around and I'm scared of what my neighbor, what my neighbors could actually be up to and, and what they could produce out of themselves. People have become radicalized. I mean, that's basically it. Housewives have. Yeah. I've told Sir Fiel this many times that, you know, the same people that, 30 years ago, even, you know, shit, even 15 years ago, you know, if I came up with any of this stuff and there was stuff that I did talk about certain conspiracy theories and things like that, people would laugh at me. But now those people are aware of those things and they've gone even further. These are just normal people. Yeah. I went outside one day and my neighbor was out there living in an apartment complex, you know, nice guy. You know, I like to, you know, sometimes I like to talk to him. I'm talking to him and he tells me, he said, you know, your roommate told me that, uh, you do a podcast. And I said, yeah, it's called conspiracy normal, you know? And he looked at me and says, well, you should have me on there sometime because <laughs> you know, there's a, there's this, uh, you, you ever watch this, uh, this, this video called follow the cabal. And I like instantly knew that this, you know, I, I, the cabal, I mean, that's one of the Q and on, you know, just keywords. Yeah. And I instantly knew I'm like, yeah, no, I mean, no, I'm not, you know, I just played stupid really. And I changed the subject, but it's just like, I liken it in some ways to invasion of the body snatchers. You're right. Like Mike and I were going in to see this, like, you know, see the people that we were in like almost full agreement with all of a sudden just go over to Trump and just completely go, not even QAnon, but just, you know, go, go over to like, you know, just fully embracing Trump. Yeah. And it was just like invasion of the body snatchers. Just I had like, a Christian mentor. It's closer and closer and closer. A Christian mentor of mine for 30 years, F-bombed me in Cracker Barrel. Yeah. When I just ask a question about it. I mean, that's that's pretty significant change. Somebody you've been close to for 30 years. F-bombs you in the Cracker Barrel. Yeah, suddenly you're the enemy. Yeah. You know? Uh, one, one area of your article that I didn't see you get into, and of course, you know, you had more than enough in there to meet their requirements, you know, and how much pages they'd let you have. But, you know, there's another dimension, and that is what are the gateway drugs to get into these communities or the Trojan horses, no matter how you look at it. And, you know, of course, um, well, the stolen election is one. Um, vaccines and the big pharma state is another one. 
But the one that I see resonating the most in the Christian circles that I'm up to mirrors with is the save the children child trafficking. That is the key one right now that most radicalizes the Christian people because somehow this speaks to them on some kind of subliminal scale that will get them out of their chair and do stuff. And, you know, I, I, I know you mentioned, I think you mentioned Operation Underground Railroad, but um, I focused on that on my radio show here in Nashville for, what, five months, five and a half months after Adam made some conspiracy story that he had heard about people sabotaging the broadcast of Sound of Freedom. And it made me have to go dig into that. And the whole child trafficking issue is something that to me is sort of at the forefront and allows the most extreme cases. Yeah, you know, Jim Caviezel, you know, while he was promoting this movie, he was just freely openly talking about the adrenochrome harvesting of the kids that they were saving on his promotional tour for this blockbuster movie. And he even went so far as to say that part of their operation in Ukraine was to, well, was to, I guess, help Vladimir Putin, who was trying to stop the adrenochrome harvesting factories in Ukraine, that Ukraine was the main uh, place where adrenochrome harvesting was going on, and Putin was trying to stop this. Now, I'm sure that Russian bots or agents would never be part of spreading that story. But well, that, that's part of the, the upside-down nature of everything, the bizarro, how everything's upside-down. Now you have conservatives who are pro-Putin. They right? love Russia. Yeah. Right. Right. I, well, because he hates I, gays. That's part of it. <laughs> right. When, when uh, uh, I, I mentioned in the article I wrote on Salon about the Sound of Freedom, about how when, when Rick Rene went on the Blessed to Teach show to talk about Sound of Freedom, he said, and this is a direct quote, he goes, to be honest, the film wasn't nearly as expansive a message as I thought it was going to be. It was pretty much showing the child sex trafficking industry, but it didn't get into Hollywood and the elites and the adrenochrome yeah. and harvesting, all the ugly, ugly stuff they didn't get into. And it didn't show any of the real gross stuff either. But it was extremely well done. I think you can have even your leftist friends go to Sound of Freedom, and they will enjoy it because it's the truth. I believe this is what's going to unite us. I think Q even said something about that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what side of the spectrum you're on, what race you are, or anything like that. All the stuff they're trying to divide us on, one big unification is when we find out who is actually trafficking our children and hurting our children and torturing our children. Think about that. Pray about that. And it was fascinating that in this, he, he says, oh, yeah, it's a good film, but I was a little disappointed. It didn't get into all the gross stuff I wanted to see. Mm. Well, <laughs> yeah. what they and mean is, is the, the titillating. The yeah. titillating part is what people, I think that is a lot of it that's into that. Yeah. There's another element to it, though. Aaron Gullius typifies QAnon as a utopian conspiracy Triumphalist, theory. yeah. Conspiracy Triumphalist, theory. yeah. Which basically, I mean, you know, it's too. Once this, once it's all revealed that these kids have been harvested for adrenochrome, and that ends, then you can. But you can build the utopia, so it has a utopian vision essentially, and that's that's part of it too. That's part of the appeal. And Trump is the one who's going to do right. all that. 
well, right, that's another that's another aspect of the upside down thing because I realize that it's a QAnon. It's an upside down rapture because in in the rapture scenario, all the believers are are taken up to heaven, and the non-believers are left to fry uh, hell on earth. In in QAnon, it's the opposite. the The non-believers are taken, dragged down underground, and they're they're tortured uh, in in Gitmo. And then the believers are left behind on Earth, and they can kind of like spread their wings a bit and say, "Ah, the air is so much better without these liberal Democrats around." <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It's like we we talked about this like illusion and insinuation and things like that, and how I mean, I can guarantee you this episode is not going to last long on YouTube. Uh, we've had uh, episodes where we talked with Doctor Future. Uh, we were where we were talking about the. COVID and anti-vax conspiracy theory um, and the bots don't know how to recognize things. But meanwhile, these Q folks and others are, they know how to speak in code. Uh, They know how to talk about this stuff without saying these words. And so what I'm seeing is that these algorithms, though they're trying to like, you know, supposedly suppress some of this are actually preventing organic non you know corporate mainstream media dialogue about it so these discussions that people like us organically have are going to be suppressed and meanwhile the other side know how to get around this stuff i this is this is something this is a point that uh you know i mentioned uh, i brought up uh the the, um in silence of a war i was talking about um censorship won't help yeah the censorship not only does it not help it actually amplifies the problem it it helps bury the bodies. I mean, there are things that I quote Rick Renee saying in the book. If you go to the link, it's not there anymore. Like saying like oh, horribly damning things. You can't find it. You can't find him saying that anymore. So basically, they're, they're like helping him bury his own bodies. You know, wow. and, yeah. and the censorship instead of, uh, and I, I can use a real world example of this uh, that we're all familiar with. Uh, supposedly, the social media platforms like YouTube uh, in 2020, they went in and cut down on all this uh, conspiracy mongering, election fraud nonsense, and that was supposed to uh, stop the madness, right? Well, they did that. They did that around the fall of 2020. They started scrubbing all this stuff. Did that prevent January 6th from happening? <laughs> No, in fact, I would argue that it made it even worse, because when I was listening to those QAnon podcasts leading up to January 6th, that's what you'd hear over and over again. We must be right. Otherwise, they wouldn't go out of their way to scrub this stuff from YouTube. Right. It doesn't work. It it backfires. It just backfires. but total total blowback and yeah. and, and and before we leave the subject of, of sound of freedom uh, i i'd like to point out too that you know people the, people point out oh you know the screenplay was written before qanon which is true but right. the article i wrote on salon was more about how this was being marketed uh, by like right. jim caviezel uh, who's definitely a qanon follower I, by yeah. the way i saw jim caviezel at a um, at the rose bowl in 2004 speaking uh, right before Billy Graham came up and, and gave a speech. That's a whole other story. But uh, anyway, the, there's this whole anti-immigrant theme around the uh, sound of freedom. Uh, and I mentioned in the Salon article that there's there's this uh, militia group uh, led by this QAnon guy named Michael Meyer, Louis Arthur Meyer. And uh, it's called Veterans on Patrol. 
and the Southern Poverty Law Center calls it calls it a vigilante group, uh, and they believe that humans, weapons, and drugs are being trafficked into the U.S. via a Native American reservation in Southern Arizona, and that migrants are looking to harvest the organs of American children. Right, so there's this journalist named Melissa Del Bosque who's been reporting on this, and she talks about these MAGA vigilantes who managed to get the phone numbers of the immigrants' American sponsors and confront the sponsors at their homes in the United States. And then uh, there's uh, uh, at the National Butterfly Center, which is located in Texas on the U.S.-Mexico border. It had to shut its doors after receiving death threats from QAnon followers who are convinced that the butterfly sanctuary is actually a front for child sex trafficking. Oh, uh, God. The targeting of the sanctuary began when it filed a lawsuit to block construction of the wall on its property, arguing that the barrier would cut two-thirds of the 100-acre nature preserve, effectively destroying it. After consuming QAnon theories regarding the harmless sanctuary, one Trump supporter struck National Butterfly Center Executive Director Mariana Trevino-Wright and nearly ran over her son with their vehicle. You know, and then um, there, there's there's another guy, um, uh, well, Rebecca Furlan, who's head of the Arizona Desert Guardians. Uh, they they uh, say that U.S. sponsors for migrant children are also registered sex offenders. And then there's another one called Women Fighting for America, led by Christy Hutcherson, who she was, you know, at, at the Capitol building on January 6th. And then there's a paramilitary group called AZ Border Recon, which is led by an Army veteran, Tim Foley, who says that he's buried homemade bombs all along the border for the purpose of killing immigrants. And uh, so it's it's interesting how Sound of Freedom was wrapped up in all this anti-immigrant stuff. I, you know, Steve Snyder of the you know the farm, uh, he did this great uh, interview with J.G. Michael about Sound of Freedom, and there's one point. I think J.G. Michael said this. Uh, he said he wants to see a Sound of Freedom 2, a sequel, where it's all about uh, people from South America making their way into the exotic land of Utah to uh, save the 13-year-old brides from the, the Mormons. <laughs> like the opposite. Instead of going to South America to save the child trafficking, they, uh, they come to America to save the, the kids uh, in Utah. I don't think um, that'll get made. But the production company that you need to out. also save the women workers there too, from the suave and debonair Tim Ballard, and you know, oh uh, right, so, yes, and wearing his wearing his skivvies and saying if they love the children, you know, they'll do the ruse, the couple's well, ruse. So, Sir Fail mentioned the neo-Gnostic quality of all this. It's like what the irony is that is that they're on the other side of the Gnostic illusion. You know, they blue pilled but they think they red-pilled. Right. Uh, it's, it's almost like it, there's, there's the opening scene in Blue Velvet where you see the picture-perfect green lawn and the guys mowing the lawn, and then the mm-hmm. camera goes underneath the ground, and then you see all the insects like squir- squirming. You know, uh, It's almost like QAnon, rather than revealing the re- reality to all these people, it's, re- it's revealed the reality of these people to everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. like what you were saying, you know, you have these neighbors who you thought were these great uh, law-abiding Christians, and then all it takes is just a few posts on 4chan to rip the facade aside, and you see the, yeah. the gargoyle underneath. Right, right. right. Well, you it's remember, revealing you, the ugliness. Yeah, you remember me saying 
that if God was behind this, it was to expose the spiritual bankruptcy of the religious right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, coming from that environment myself, I would say mission accomplished on my end. <laughs> I don't need any more convincing. I've already, you know, and I believe that's sort of a permanent thing. So, uh, you know, I, I accept that sort of thing. But we do need to ask ourselves, what is something constructive we can do about this? When, when you when you have your eyes open like this, you know, it's one thing to, to gain knowledge and it's another thing to gain understanding. Now, how do we gain wisdom to be able to put this knowledge and relationships into something constructive? Yeah, well, no, I mean, that's uh, I mean, that's the key question, you know, uh, and what what um, uh, what do you do except uh, continue to try to tell the truth, you know, uh, and try to disseminate it as much as possible? It's it's almost like you have one arm tied. You know, if you're not willing to sink down and use the same psyop techniques <laughs> that's being used by uh, uh, Clay Clark and General Michael Flynn, who, by the way, copyrighted the phrase digital warriors. That's his phrase. Um, if you're not willing to sink to their level and use their techniques, it's almost like you've got both arms tied behind your back, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, but, uh, you know, how, how low are you willing to go to, 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 to fight them? You know, I, I intend, I mean, that's why I wrote the books, why I wrote the salon articles. It's why I, I keep talking about it. I, as I said, you know, if I, if I could, convince one person from not going to uh, the Capitol building on January 6th, I guess it would have been worth it, you know. I think that's the key, though. People who talk about these kind of things, and particularly people who add a constructive spiritual element to it, they might as well dispense with any notions of the word popularity being associated <laughs> with it. You know? Now, I, I hope that some of your additional work continues to be extremely popular. I really do. I hope that works well. But in my opinion is when you talk about like maybe one or two, that's my experience. You know, I just got a, a text today from some, you know, uh, fellows from the heartland who had me on. And I was happy, you know, I was really happy that they had me on. And we tried to talk about some of these matters. And I find out they got one person that you know has sort of been convinced from hearing it and wants to find out more material about what i have that's the norm for me picking off one or two at a time but you know the the thing that the establishment worried about in the cold war was the subversive communist network Mm -hmm. they weren't worried about big institutions in america that were saying they were communists they were worried about leaderless resistance that was changing hearts and mind one person at a time, one-on-one. And I'm starting to really think, well, first of all, they, they exaggerate and use that for their, for their own benefit in that. But it really does make an establishment, even if it's a QAnon establishment, quake a little bit when you've got free agents out there picking off people, even if it's one at a time, like a guerrilla movement that comes up out of the jungle makes a quick hit and moves on. And so they've been able to use through their savvy and other things, social media and things to do this. But we may be resorted to picking off one or two at a time. But thank heavens if we can pick off one or two at a time. You know, I'm I'm glad I was one of those ones that was picked off sometime in the past. 
So at least I can do is show my gratitude by trying to pass it on and uh, subversively and inconspicuously trying to grab a few more along the way. Well said, Mike. The, the, the trick would, you, you know, I mean, no one, no one wants to be a dupe, right? No, no one, no one wants to be the uh, the the rube uh, who's taken in by the carnival barker uh, to to have your money stolen while you look at the Fiji mermaid. Uh, and so, but the trick is to try to figure out how do you convince people that uh, basically what Trump did, and for, or rather, I should say, Trump's people around him is they figured out how to exploit Madison Avenue techniques, a uh, brand deception, brand perception. Uh, there's a book called The Image Makers by William Myers that came out in the 80s, which is all about Madison Avenue advertising. And in that book, they talk about that Madison Avenue had like five categories for potential buyers of their products. And uh, one of the categories, and they came up with this in like the, the late 60s, early 70s, one of the categories was societally conscious achievers. And those were people who were like experimental sections of the populace, mainly young people who were on the left end of the spectrum, of the political spectrum, who were dissatisfied with materialism. So Madison Avenue had to combat this, and they had to figure out how to get them to buy things um, if they are rejecting materialism. So they had to do it in such a way where they have to convince them that what they're buying is diametrically opposed to the purchasing behaviors of like their parents, of old-fashioned conservatives. Right. So so that's where brand deception comes in. And uh, so, like, for example, uh, uh, like like Trader Joe's uh, brands itself as like being a kind of quirky alternative to major grocery stores like Albertsons or Ralph's. Uh, but the truth is that uh, actually a lot of the stuff they sell, you can actually buy at other grocery stores just in a different package. Right. So so uh, Trump, Trump's team figured out how to brand the old style political nepotism and gangsterism and they and, and how to repackage that and label it as anti-globalism. Mm -hmm. You know, when the, when the fact is that, you know, Trump, Trump is not fighting the swamp. He is the swamp. He's expanding the swamp. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, there's all these examples of, uh, you know, uh, Trump claimed that he was against the neocon Iraqi war, but then he, he pardoned uh, those Blackwater guards who, like, slaughtered all these innocent Iraqi civilians, uh, even though he claimed he was, like, morally opposed to George Bush's, you know, Iraqi war. Uh, and probably because uh, Blackwater was owned by Eric Prince, who was the brother of Betsy DeVos, uh, Trump's education secretary. Yeah, right. And and uh, at one point, I remember in 2018, Trump announced that the Pentagon's budget needed to be like limited. And then he ended up giving the Pentagon like 5% more money than originally requested, you know? So it's like he, every step of the way, he's expanding the swamp. He's not anti-establishment, <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, and, and so the trick would be to try to convince people, hey, look, you know, this is all brand perception, brand deception. He's not anti-globalist uh, at all. Um, and, uh, you know, the trick is, you know, how do you how do you do that? You know, how do you convince people of that uh, other right. than just telling the truth? Well, I think that's a good place for us to stop. But, Robert, I do want to give you a chance to uh, talk a little bit about Dead Monkey Rum, your latest novel. That's a hell of a segue. 
but uh, <laughs> I, 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 can, I, can, I can do it in this way. Uh, um, it's funny, well, my colleague, Steve Cooper, who teaches at CSU Long Beach, he wrote the biography of John Fonte. Uh, he was reading my articles about, um, about MAGA and QAnon. And at one point he told me, he said, you know, um, he had written this very long project about World War II, and he had all this World War II research material, and he said at a certain point it became so depressing, he had to put that research material out in the garage and just not think about it for a while. And he goes, Robert, you should like get away from it and do something, you know, fun. Um, and um, uh, oddly enough, I did that, and I've always been fascinated by like the pulp era. And I went over to my bookshelf and I pulled out a book about the shadow by Will Murray, and I start reading it. And I get to this one part where there's an interview with Walter B. Gibson, who created The Shadow, an interview from the 70s. And at one point, the interviewer asked Walter Gibson, uh, you came up with a wonderful title for your shadow novels. I'm particularly interested in the one that called Q. And then Walter Gibson starts talking about how he wrote this whole novel called Q in the 30s, where the shadow goes up against this, quote, hidden chief who calls himself Q, and he's controlling his followers through, like, codes that he sends out through shortwave radio, and he's having them go out and blow up stuff, but that's just a distraction from his real, like, political uh, objective. And I'm sitting there going, what the hell? <laughs> I, I, I was trying to get away from it. What, how the hell did this happen? So that's where I got all the great shadow quotes in The Silence of a War article that like parallel QAnon. Um, anyway, and, and then beyond that, uh, Dead Monkey Rum is as far away from QAnon as you can get. It's a novel. Uh, it's, it's, it's about the peculiar evolutionary theories of this visionary artist named Stanislaw Sukulski. It's also about cryptozoology, uh, tiki culture, pissed off abominable snowmen, uh, the South Seas, rum, talking monkeys, and secret underground tunnels in L.A. So there, I guess that ties in with, with right. QAnon. But the book, it kind of grew out of my fascination with uh, Sukalski. Have you seen the Netflix documentary, A Struggle? I have. I have, yeah. I'd never heard of Sukalski before I watched that documentary. I actually watched it twice I, because I, I showed it to my dad, who's an artist, and I th thought he would, you know, since art was an essential part of Sukalski stuff, that I, well, it, it's interesting. I was actually, they actually interviewed me for that documentary. I was actually in the first cut, but uh, unfortunately, the director, yeah. Irik uh, Dabrowski, he didn't have the final cut. So uh, I got cut out somewhere between edit one and like 14. Uh, so, but if you pause the credits, you'll see I get a thank you uh, at the end. But oh, okay. Sokolsky has fascinated me for a long time. And I went, to, as I mentioned earlier, uh, since Surfail is in Washington, I went to school in Washington. I went to the Clarion Writers Workshop, uh, uh, which was at the University of Washington back in 1996. And it's it's six weeks long, and each week is taught by a different professional writer. Uh, and so in the third week, it was taught by Jack Womack, who's a novelist. He lives in New York. He wrote a brilliant novel called Random Acts of Senseless Violence back in the late 90s that is weirdly prescient. It's about a fascist takeover set in New York in the near future. I, I recommend it. But anyway, it just so happened that there was a magazine called SFI that came out around the same time that had an interview with Jack Womack in it. And uh, Womack is like a bibliophile, and he likes to collect all these weird, rare books. And there was a, a, a piece of the article that was just a list of all the weirdest books that Jack had in his bookshelf. 
And among the titles was this book called Behold the Protong. Behold, three exclamation points, the Protong. And I thought, what a title. Uh, I need to get a copy of this book. So I, I got a copy of it, and it's, it's like really weird. And I, as I'm reading it, I notice that there's a lot of similarities between Sokolsky's theory about, quote, protong, which means like the original tongue, and Richard Shaver's mantong, which is almost the same word and almost means exactly the same thing. And I kind of noted that briefly, but I didn't, you know, I didn't think about it more than 30 seconds. Then flash forward to like 2001, 2002, I see an ad in the LA Weekly for this art exhibit uh, centered around the rock paintings of Richard Shaver. Do you know, have you ever seen his rock paintings? Mm -hmm. I haven't. No. Yeah. Uh, Shaver would, he would cut rocks in two and he saw images in the rocks that he claimed were, uh, images of the pre deluge world. Like when Atlantis fell, these images were somehow caught trapped inside the rocks. So he would then paint in the world's, uh, uh, and weird patterns in the rock, he would paint what he was seeing. Uh, and, and the, the, the result is just like weird kind of quasi surreal, um, paintings. Uh, and, uh, I noticed that this, this Richard Shaver art show was curated by this art professor named Brian Tucker. And at the time I was seeing this girl and we were supposed to go to the, I asked her if she wanted to go to the Richard Shaver exhibit. And instead we got into this intense argument and we didn't go. But I was more upset that I didn't see the Richard Shaver exhibit than, than not spending time with her. But anyway, so I missed the Shaver exhibit that first time. Flash forward to like 2009. At this point, I married, not to her, someone else. And I see an ad for an exhibit called Mantong and Protong, the outsider art of Richard Shaver in Stanislaw Sokolsky. And it was curated by the same guy, Brian Tucker. Only now the exhibit was at Pasadena City College. So my wife and I go to this exhibit, Mantong and Protong, uh, Pasadena, you know, Jack Parsons, JPL's territory. And the exhibit was, was pretty small, but it was extremely impressive. And the purpose of it was to highlight the similarities between the work of Shaver and, and Sokolsky. Uh, uh, so uh, anyway, Sokolsky, he had this whole theory of Zermatism centered around Easter Island, how all of uh, human culture can be traced back to Easter Island. Uh, and so in, in, I took his theories, uh, and Dead Monkey Rum is about a talking monkey named uh, Robert, uh, William, uh, Hight uh, Robert William Pedro Hightower McClintock. Uh, he's a talking monkey that grew up on an island off the coast of Japan called Kushima. And these American scientists found him there, and they gave him the names of various John Wayne characters. And then uh, uh, he, this novel begins at a tiki bar down the beachcomber in Huntington Beach, and he is set upon by these abominable snowmen, uh, uh, who these yetis, who want uh, this tiki sculpture that contains the ashes of Stanislaw Sokolsky. And there's a particular element in Sokolsky's ashes that are, that, that are bad news for the yetis. Uh, because Sikorsky had this whole theory that all the modern dictators of the 20th century were descended from women mating with uh, yetis. So like Stalin, uh, Hitler, uh, even people who were not, you know, Charles Manson, <laughs> all these people were descended from uh, yetis raping human women. Based uh, on a true story. <laughs> but meanwhile, even though this is 
obviously uh, kind of nutty. Sukolsky was this incredible artist who who did sculptures that were on the he level was. of like Michel- Michelangelo. Yeah, he was. He and, was an incredible would, artist. He would do these incredible pen and ink drawings, like pointillist style. And the purpose of the drawings were to teach people about Zermatism. In other words, it's kind of like, you know, conspiracy theory is art form. It was theory is art form. He didn't care about exhibiting these things except to teach people about his theory, Zermatism. <laughs> so, so, so it was all very utilitarian. So Kelsey's um, a, a little controversial in then the, and they did cover this in the documentary that, you know, in his earlier years, when he was a younger man, he did he was from Poland, but he did yeah. flirt with fascism. And there's still kind of oh, like some fascist movements in uh, Poland that idolize Sikowski. Definitely. Uh, he had yeah. uh, uh, he had an entire museum dedicated to him in Poland. And he won all these awards in the 20s. He flirted with fascism in the 30s. He designed a monument for Mussolini. Um, he was approached by the Nazis to create a monument for Hitler and he sent them a concept drawing of Hitler wearing a tutu, like a ballerina. And so the Nazis sent him a rejection letter, like a polite rejection letter, saying they wouldn't be able to use his design. So obviously he had no love for Hitler, but he, he did publish some blatantly anti-Semitic pamphlets before yeah. uh, World War II. Um, and, uh, but in 1939, almost all of his work, including his museum, is destroyed by the Nazis when Germany attacks Warsaw. Sikorsky and his wife, they had to get the hell out of Dodge, and they ended up in L.A., and he spends the rest of his life until his death uh, in L.A. He died in the late 80s. Um, and, and Sikorsky hated Southern California, and yet he did his most important work here. Uh, I, I think he saw Southern California kind of like uh, Phil Dick did, you know, hollow, shallow, artificial, vapid. And yet both Sikorsky and, and Phil Dick do their best work in Southern California. Um, but, but just judging from his work, I think it's pretty clear that he abandons his fascist beliefs like sometime after World War II. And probably, you know, the Nazis dropping bombs on your head and destroying your life's work may have something to do with his change of heart uh, in that regard. But, yeah. but I do think that if you look at his theory of Zermatism and his whole, his whole idea that human culture is united, it's almost like he was doing penance like like the theory of Zermatism is similar to Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces or like Manly P. Hall's Universalist philosophies, where he's trying to merge all the world's the world cultures into one. Uh, and uh, it's I, I have a, I I think it's clear looking at his artwork that he became an anti-fascist and actually changed the those anti-Semitic views that he had in the thirties. Um, um, and, and, you know, you look, there's this one incredible drawing that he does. It's this gorilla, incredibly realistic drawing, pointless ink drawing of this gorilla behind a lectern giving a political speech. (laughs) And you can't look at it now without thinking of Trump. You know, uh, I mean, as a metaphor, it's just this, this incredible, a uh, primal image of this gorilla with its mouth and its fangs, uh, right. saliva dripping from it, and he's you know, shouting, screaming at the roaring at the at the audience. Um, uh, I, th- I think he, uh, he, at the end of the day, Sikorsky's views were were anti-fascist, 
by the time he died in in the 1980s. Where where can people find the find the book Dead Monkey Run? Where can people find all your books and what and what's next for you, Robert? Uh, Dead Monkey Rum, you can get on it. By the way, Dead Monkey Rum blurbs from Robert Williams, Jim Woodring, brilliant painters who knew Sokolsky. Also, Eric Dabrowski, the director of Struggle, gave me a blurb. And Lauren Coleman, the world-famous cryptozoologist, gave me a blurb for Dead Monkey Rum as well. Um, Alan Moore just told me that he loved Dead Monkey Rum. Um, oh, good. Uh, nice. Uh, yes. He, he, he thought it was my best fiction book so far. He, he said it was the best B-movie he's never seen. Uh, the, uh, 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 and also I just came out with a new book, Cryptopolis and other stories. It's a collection of 25 short stories that I published between the year 2000 and the year 2022. And there's a lot of Masonic, Hermetic, alchemical symbolism in a lot of these stories. Some of the stories came from dreams, um, and, in metaphorical ways, I'm talking about a lot of the things we talked about tonight, but in sort of uh, perhaps phantasmagorical terms. Uh, Cryptopolis and other stories published by Lefe Press. Uh, you can get it at a discount all the way until the end of February. Uh, that's also available uh, on Amazon. And um, glowing review from Publishers Weekly for Cryptopolis. Uh, blurbs from John Shirley, cyberpunk legend John Shirley, uh, Nick Mamatas. Philip Fricasi, uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of the collect, these, this particular collection of short stories. That's my nice. most recent book. And then uh, next, coming out next, will be um, uh, a very strange novel called The Expectant Mother Disinformation Handbook, uh, which uh, Mandis Hart Press is publishing. And then Hollywood Haunts the World will come after that, which is nonfiction. I've been working on it for a long nice. time. Yeah. Uh, Head Press in England, who uh, published uh, Weird Scenes in the in the Valley, uh, uh, they're, they're publishing Hollywood Haunts the World. Uh, no, Weird Scenes in the Canyon, right? That's the title. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Same publisher. Um, uh, Head Press is publishing Hollywood Haunts the World either probably later this year or maybe early next year, but it, it covers cinema from 1921 with the Phantom Carriage all the way to 2021 to Guillermo del Toro's uh, Nightmare Alley. Okay. Nice. Um, Dr. Future, Mike, I should say that um, you have your radio show archive now, so people can go find that. Where can people find that? It's called The Two Spies Report, the original WRFN broadcast. And it's being hosted, you know, I, I don't know much about any of this technology thing, but it's being hosted originally at Spotify, but you can get it on Apple and all of the other, I think I saw it on Podbean and a few other things like that. So the, the, the usual suspects, you can find them on there and all 50 shows from last year are archived or one hour shows. Few of them have you on there. Um, yes, there's a couple of uh, somewhat rough in studio at the WRFN studios here in Nashville, um, but I, you know they're listenable. Uh, um, but they're in the bowels of my location. There, I think uh, you, you you get something that's a, uh, hopefully a little bit more professional. I actually think that they're more important shows than the Future Quake stuff. People might disagree with that, but uh, appreciate you mentioning that. I'd like people to go listen to them. Uh, I hadn't really told anybody up to now, and people have been trickling over there and listening to it. I, whether it's people's cup or tea or not, I don't know. Um, yeah. I try not to set expectations, but I would love people to go here. Actually, 
they're they're sort of scripted, except for the shows that you know you and I do once a month uh, over there. The the shows are scripted, so actually I try to pack as much for people's time to bother listening, and I just hear a lot of ums and ahs and me thumbing around through stuff, and try to just cut to the chase uh, with the material. So, absolutely, highly recommended, guys. Go check that out. Two spies report. Look for look for it on anywhere you have podcasts. I almost forgot to mention something. This will be of interest to to your audience on February seventh. Uh, in the Jack Kirby Collector number 89. So it's a magazine devoted entirely to the art of Jack Kirby. You can find it at your local comic book store. It's the All Conspiracies issue, number 89. I have a very long article in there called G-Bomb, Masonic and Hermetic Symbolism in the Incredible Hulk, where I use James Shelby Downard's theories to illuminate and elucidate the hermetic symbolism in Jack Kirby's Incredible Hulk. It's a, uh, it's a mind blower. Quite proud right. of it. Uh, right. February nice. 7th, it should be on the stands. Jack yeah. Kirby collector number 89. Okay. Well, wow. you can find, you can find Robert there as well. As a Jack Kirby fan, I'm interested in hearing that. I also, I wanted to tell, uh, uh, the professor there that I really appreciated most of all in your article. The most important thing that I think of relevance to me was the reference to leech woman. Which was a which was a movie that used to freak me out as a kid, particularly my sister, when it would come on our afternoon TV after school, and she turned real ugly at the end of that movie. So I do you know, recommend I was, everybody see Leech Woman. This actually ties into since since Sir Fail is living in Washington State, um, uh, th- this whole idea of you know the adrenochrome of of, of taking the pituitary gland, uh, right. gland and then drinking it and becoming younger. So you can find that trope in horror films going back to uh, The Man on Half Moon Street, which is from 1945, going forward to The Leech Woman. Uh, And then there's a film that also borrows that idea, uh, written by Richard Matheson, directed by Dan Curtis of Dark Shadows fame. It's called The Night Strangler. It's the second of the Kolchak films starring Darren McGavin. Uh, came out like 1973, I think. Uh, it's made for TV movie. Uh, Darren McGavin stars as the journalist Carl Kolchak, who is a rather John Keel like character. Uh, and the second one, Night Strangler, takes place in Seattle. Uh, and the main character, who's going around stealing the pituitary glands of uh, of uh, nubile young women and then drinking it and becoming younger as a result, he lives in the underground underneath Seattle, uh, which yeah. where I've been, I, I actually took the tour. Of yeah, the, me too. Of the, uh, oh, good. Uh, there's two tours. There's the daylight tour and the nighttime tour. And the nighttime tour gives you more salacious details about, like, the red light district at the time. <laughs> so, so, anyway, I, I recommend the underground tour of Seattle, uh, which you see briefly in The Night Strangler, uh, mm-hmm. and ties into this whole horror trope that QAnon has uh, borrowed mm-hmm. for its own ends. And it also says that people need to watch all of the 1970s made for TV horror movies they can get their hands on. That was a, uh, that was a shining, uh, time for made for TV movies. There's a lot of, cl- there's night soccer, night strangler duel directed by Steven Spielberg, also written by Richard Matheson. Anything with Richard, anything with Richard Lynch in it. So guys, thank you so much for listening to conspiracy normal. Uh, really great to have, uh, Robert Guffey and, uh, Dr. Feature on, and uh, we will be back next week. But uh, first, I want to tell you guys about our Patreon. Sir, if you can tell you where to find that. 
You can find that at patreon.com slash conspiranormal, uh, where you can hear uh, Dr. Future and Robert Guffey explore the point at which the Bohemian Grove transformed into a hardline establishment place from that Bohemian club for Bohemians that it was. And some other things too. So thank you guys so much for listening. Patreon.com slash conspiranormal. And we'll be back next time on Conspiranormal. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.